tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's a free phone number. Won't cost you anything to make a call. Ali is producing today. Coming up on this morning's show, the cabinet reshuffle, but has anything really changed? The World Cup comes to a rather spectacular end. We'll be chatting about that as well. Uh, one ex-soldier uh, story of peacekeeping in Lebanon. With global politics, as usual, with uh, Tipperary's Thomas Conway. How to protect your skin over the festive season. And we have a weekend sports review with our own Paul Carroll as well. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083-311-3311. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, we might have complained about the cold last week, but do spare a thought for Clonmel man Sean Tobin, who ran in the Antarctic Ice Marathon. Not only did he run, but he won it. And in doing so, he set a new record as well, finishing in a time of two hours, 53.3 to take home victory in the 17th edition of the event. Now, we were speaking to Sean over the weekend and he's travelling at the moment, so he's not in an area with uh, phone coverage, but we're hoping to speak to him later on uh, this week. But in the meantime, many congratulations and well done as well. We have a fantastic prize for you today. I'll tell you more about it uh, later on, but we will help celebrate Hall Alarm's 40th birthday. And uh, they're doing so in great style and they've given us €500 in cash to give away. As I say, I'll uh, tell you about that a little later on in the programme. Headlines today, as you can imagine, right across the newspapers. Coverage of the World Cup uh, final. The Irish Times, great picture of joy and victory uh, with uh, the Argentinians uh, there. Their lead headline is a report on site serves sent to Garda after findings examined uh, the Corporate Enforcement Authority has sent the SiteServe report to the Garda after um, examining findings by a High Court judge that state-owned bank IBRC was deceived during the company's 2012 sale to uh, businessman Dennis O'Brien. To the Irish Indo, their headline is a bogus taxi driver's empty bank accounts of revellers. The bogus taxi scam, which allows criminals to target the online bank accounts of unsuspecting passengers, has hit victims for hundreds of thousands of euro. Also on the front of the Indo today, there is a picture of uh, the coffin of uh, uh, Private Sergeant Rooney at Beirut uh, Airport as his remains are about to be flown back to uh, Baldonnell and his uh, colleagues there uh, saluting his casket. Um, the Irish Examiner, and again they're leading with the story of uh, Private Rooney, and uh, their headline says, Your duty is done, Akara. Uh, also on the uh, front of the examiner today, uh, fears are growing among uh, prison chaplains that their independent reports are being censored and sanitised by the Irish Prison Service to prevent publicising the conditions in which prisoners are being held. Finally, look at the Daily Mail. Treat our soldiers' death as murder, is the headline there. And a new Foreign Affairs Minister, Michal Martin, is facing calls to treat private Sean Rooney's death as murder 
and to ensure justice is served as his remains are reunited with his family this morning. So that's just a taste of what's making headlines in the newspapers today. Mm. Now it's a case of more things, uh, the more things change even, uh, the more they stay the same when it comes to the weekend's cabinet reshuffle. As Michal Martin made way for Leo Bradcar as Taoiseach and what we thought might be a new look government. Now Pat Lee, he's political editor of the Irish Times and he joins me now. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And thanks for your time today, Pat. Aside from some slight manoeuvring, there was really very little change, Pat. Yeah, just a few switches in portfolio, uh, and that's the bare necessity. Leo Varadkar, of course, moving to part of the Taoiseach. Simon Coveney moving across to Varadkar's old department in Enterprise, and thus making room for Michal Martin to move to the Department of Foreign Affairs. And he'll also be tarnished to, of course... And then the switch between uh, the two super juniors at Cabinet so that you have a Fine Gael chief whip serving a Fine Gael Taoiseach. Um, but that's it, really. Now, to be honest, um, it's been quite some time since we kind of figured that this was going to be a minimal switchover uh, in, in Cabinet. You can read that as a sign of political strength or weakness, uh, I guess, Fran. Either things are going so well for the government that they don't need to make uh, any major switches or the individual leaders aren't strong enough in their own parties to do a wide-ranging switch. I suspect that the truth lies somewhere between the two. Either way, what they're trying to project, I suppose, is stability and continuity. Any government's camp- political campaigning, really, no matter where they are, has to be more or less along the lines of that old... Fianna Fáil election slogan, a lot done, more to do. And that is the sort of image, I suppose, that the uh, that the government is, is seeking to convey with these minimal changes. We do expect there to be a couple of changes, maybe at junior level, uh, when they're announced later this week. But really, while they matter a lot to people within the political bubble, they, they don't really matter an awful lot to people outside it. I mean, how many of your listeners could name a dozen junior ministers? Uh, very pretty, very pretty, few, pretty few, I would imagine, Pat. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, one, one of the talking points has to be Simon Harris, I suppose, adding justice, well, temporarily, uh, justice to the portfolio there. What, what did you make of that? Ah, uh, yeah, sorry, that's the one that I, that I left out in the summary early on. Yeah, um, I... I I don't read too much into it other than the fact that it is promotion to some degree for Simon Harris, even if it is a temporary appointment. Mm. So he's the Minister for Higher Education, not a particularly busy department. Um, Heather Humphrey, uh, who's a minister in charge of two departments already. So she's in rural development and she's also in social welfare, which, uh, of course, has... Mm you know, the biggest budget of any uh, of any department, albeit that much of the spending of that budget is basically automated. Um, and she had been in temporary possession of the justice portfolio because Helen McEntee, of course, is on maternity leave. Now that temporary ownership of that portfolio has switched to Simon Harris. So he will be, in law, the Minister for Justice, but in political fact just the acting Minister for Justice for some months until Helen McEntee returns uh, from leave. Uh, Legally, she is still a Minister of the Cabinet 
she is dubbed the minister without portfolio. So she's still a minister. She just doesn't have any uh, departmental responsibilities until such time as she returns from her maternity leave. There is the um, conversation around the government chief whip uh, as well, Pat. Yeah, so um, as I was saying earlier, this is the other switch. So Jack Chambers has moved to Hildegard Nocton's old job uh, as a junior minister in the Department of Transport, but what's called a super junior in that he has the right to sit at uh, at Cabinet. And Hildegard Nocton becomes the government chief whip. The reasoning for that is that the chief whip works so closely with the Taoiseach and, in fact, his office is in the Department of the Taoiseach that, uh, that they should be, uh, whoever holds that post, should be in the same party as, uh, mm. as the Taoiseach. And this was pretty much understood by uh, both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael when the coalition deal was being put together two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago. Was there some and, doubt about uh, her ability, though, Pat? Well, there was a lot of chat uh, last week around mm. Leinster House that, you know, that she wouldn't have been a particularly good fit for the role of Chief Whip, mm. whose job is to maintain discipline, make sure government has the numbers in the chamber at any given time to win votes. And, and Chief Whip's have in the past often been seen as sort of authoritarian figures mm. and that's not the sort of perception that people would have of Hildegard's Nocton and many of these doubts needless to say Fran were being raised by her colleagues in her own party who might have been eyeing her job but um, in any event I think you know maybe a combination of Leo Varadkar being convinced that she had the qualities necessary for the role, but also perhaps deciding that demoting a a woman and a West of Ireland mm, yeah. TD from Cabinet to promote somebody else into the job to do it was perhaps taking a, a, a political risk. And I suppose this is what I was referring to earlier when I talked about, you know, perhaps the leaders not having the strength in their own party as you know, leaders often don't. They've got a way up lots mm. of things, you know, to balance when selecting a ministerial lineup. But uh, I, I, I think geography and gender certainly worked to Hildegard Nocton's advantage in, in holding on to that role. In your own piece in the Times today, Pat, you point out that it was a curious day for Sinn Féin in terms of what went on there. Will you explain more about that to me? Yeah, I mean, I suppose. Saturday demonstrated, uh, you know, a couple of things um, to us. One is that, you know, very clearly the structure of Irish politics now is Sinn Féin is, you know, it completely dominates the opposition. And even though you hear lots from some of the smaller opposition parties and independents and Mary McGrath made uh, one, one of the uh, most pungent contributions on, on, on Saturday hmm. perhaps, but in terms of Unex- political Unexpected power, as well, in fact. <laughs> well, it certainly was, yeah, yes. but hmm. um, uh, but in terms of real political power, I suppose, it's very clear when you look at the Dáil Chamber and you look at the at the numbers, you know, where the power in the opposition to the extent that opposition has political power lies. At the same time, Saturday was all about the government and Sinn Féin were, like the rest of the opposition, were merely 
watching on. And Sinn Féin didn't even bother to go, you know, through the formality of nominating Mary Lou MacDonald to be Taoiseach because, of course, they knew she didn't yeah. have anything like the numbers. So to that extent, I suppose, it, it, it demonstrated, uh, you know, they, and if you look at the majority by which Leo Varadkar was elected, 25 votes, even though on paper the government's majority is a lot smaller than that, in actual fact, the real majority in the chamber is pretty unassailable. And the lesson I think we can take that, Fran, is that unless this government itself falls apart, it is not going to be derailed by external political pressure, which is another way of saying it is likely to go the full term. So, you know, I, I don't think we will see, uh, you know, uh, barring internal catastrophe, this government falling apart. Its majority is simply too big to, uh, to do that. Also demonstrates, I suppose, you know, that this process of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael coming together and working as, you know, a single political force of the centre. And and lots of Sinn Féin supporters and other left-wing supporters always argue, you know, that they're essentially the same party. And now I don't agree with that, but they are clearly more and more the same political force. You know, they call them FFG Mm. uh, in in online critiques uh, and that. And there is a lot of truth to that. I mean, for, for an awful long time, I suppose, there has been very little to choose in policy terms between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, but they were different political forces. Increasingly, they're the same governing force, whatever about political force. And if that be true, then they are, you know, by some distance, the most popular political force in the country, albeit... Mm that, of course, they're an awful lot smaller than they used to be. Absolutely, but uh, it it will make the next election very interesting because they're still saying they will fight the election separately. So you'd wonder how they will manage to do that, Pat. And and this, I think, is... I think you're absolutely right, Fran, about that. And I think this will be one of the greatest political challenges that faces Leo Varadkar because... You know, we've ended the first half of this government. We've started the second half. The second half would be very, very different from the first half in one important respect. And it's this. It will finish with a general election and not with a a bout of self-congratulatory backslapping and a minor reshuffle Saturday before Christmas. It ends with an election, not just, you know, any election, but an election in which Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael while being allies in government, are rivals at the polls. And I'm not sure they've figured out how they're going to do that yet, but I do know that the pressures that that sort of paradox imply, I think they will become greater as the election uh, approaches. And that is going to... I think that's going to mean all sorts of internal pressures for the government, especially in its last year of life. It'll be a very interesting couple of years for sure. Pat, we really appreciate your time and happy Christmas to you and your colleagues. Thanks so much, Pat. Many, uh, many happy Christmas to you too, Pat. Thank you, Bob Atunaz. Pat there. Pat is uh, political editor of uh, the Irish Times and writing extensively in the Times today about uh, the uh, change over there to uh, Leo Varadkar. By the way, one of our listeners was wondering what was it that Matty said 
um, to Leo Varadkar, well, um, he basically used his time in the Doyle to uh, attack uh, the new Taoiseach for being part of an international conspiracy organised by Claude Schwab um, and the World Economic Forum which uh, was dedicated to destroying the sovereignty of countries, which is what what Matty said in The Door. 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to a Tip Today. Now, hall alarms have been serving commercial, domestic and industrial customers for over 40 years and they're celebrating 40 years in business this very week. And for more on this, glad to be joined in the studio now by Eleanor Lahart, who is CEO of Hall Alarms. Good morning to you, Eleanor. Good morning, Fran. It's lovely. lovely to be back in Tip be, FM. Be back in your former parish and all My of that. former yeah, parish, yeah. yes, yeah. Well, it's great to see you. 40, you were at pains to tell me that you weren't there from the start. No, <laughs> no. I've, I've, uh, I came in about 15 years ago next year um, to run the business when John passed away. A lot of yes. people around the town would have known John. Um, and I suppose like a lot of businesses, it started from home. Uh, back in the day, back in 1982 and progressed over the years. Um, It's still a family-owned business, the the Hall family. Uh, A lot of people would know them around uh, the Clonmel area and beyond. And it's grown and grown over the years and I suppose that's down to um, the people. It's all about the people. Um, The team we have working with us is great and people have come and gone over the years. And customers as well have been hugely loyal and supportive of the business over the last 40 years and that's why we're still here. 40 years ago, a house alarm, maybe even the business alarm, would have been a rarity, really, you know? It would, yes. I suppose John was was ahead of his time back then. Um, And they were new systems. um, And over the years, the technical advances have been huge. And what you have now is very modern systems that are all integrated. Um, and they work very well for, for customers, whether you're domestic and or commercial. Mm. And I suppose the beauty of, of one of the reasons I love the job is that every customer is different and it's, it's a puzzle finding a solution for every unique situation that a domestic customer or a commercial customer oh, might have. Oh, that's very interesting. So everybody who comes in to you have different needs, I suppose, where security is concerned. Yes, and, and I mean, there are systems out there that are very, you know, they're not, they're not one-off. You buy a kit or a package and, and off you go. But really for security to be what you, to do what you need it to do, it really needs to be tailored mm. to the premises or the customer's needs. Some people might want um, an alarm that's more important to them and the guards would say that's the, the core security product of any uh, premises. Um, other people might want a camera system because they've had you know, events, people coming onto their property and they're very nervous and that, mm. or they might have 
farm vehicles stolen. Um, so everything is unique. Other people might have want to control access onto their property with gates or in businesses like yourselves here, you know, that you can't come through this door without putting in codes and yes. stuff like that. So everything is, is very unique and customers should look out for that, that they get a system that's tailored for them. It's not just off the shelf because one product won't suit all. Like of course, most yeah. things. I'm old enough to remember uh, the old alarms that when they went off, a bell started ringing and stuff. But now it is so sophisticated. I mean, cameras now are a huge part of this, aren't they? They are, yeah. Um, and the technology has moved on for them when I came in to haul alarms, you know, over 14 years ago. Um, there was what was called like a five... 40 TVL or a 740 TVL camera and that was the resolution of it. That's, that's the quality of the what, quality you of what you're it, looking yeah. at. Like now the standard camera is 5 megapixel um, which is a very clear resolution. You can have it on your phone on an app on your phone. Same with the alarm systems. You can have an app on your phone your alarm goes off anywhere in the world. You can turn on and off your alarm through your phone now. So all these technical advances have made the systems very user-friendly. Um, and at the touch of a button or the touch of your screen, you can look back on, on your home from, from anywhere in the world. It's, it's amazing. Cause I saw that new system lately as well, where if somebody rings your doorbell, it comes up on your phone as well. Like in, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely incredible. Um, people might think it's all gone so sophisticated and techy. Is it hugely expensive now, Eleanor? No, and in, in actually cameras, it's it's nearly a race to the floor. Um, Is it? Yeah. When I came in first to buy one camera, like was about three and a half hundred euros, whereas now the price has has really gone down on those, um, driven by Higvision, um, predominantly in China, and, and there's. You know, you probably see a lot of stuff in the media at the moment. Some of the Chinese brands are getting banned um, in different countries uh, for government installations. Um, there's a fear there with the, the Chinese. Yes, um, that the information is going somewhere it shouldn't, is that it? Well, people have that fear, but yeah. I mean, nothing has been proven on, mm. on that yet. And these systems have, you know, back doors that are very much closed down now. You can't just dial into systems. Um, and take them over. So a lot of that is maybe um, wound up a bit, maybe more than it should be. Mm. Um, but these products, you know, they've really driven the market over the years and, and brought the prices down. Um, other secure systems have been more stable on prices over the years. But I suppose the last 12 months, like a lot of businesses, you know, the, the Irish intruder alarm, the HKC brand, um, that's grown significantly over the years. But like getting plastics and chips in, in other companies, you know, they've had four and five uh, different price increases over the last 12 yeah. months. Yeah, and of course they were very hard to come by as well, weren't they? They were. And um, yeah. the other thing that people need to be aware of is who you're dealing with for alarms is very important, isn't it? In fact, I think it's illegal to deal with somebody who's not properly registered, is it? It is, yeah. There's a PSA licence that every yeah. company has to have. And we undergo, as part of that licensing, an annual audit with a, an accredited company like the SEAI every year, or the NSEI. Um, and they come in and they go out to site and, and uh, will inspect our installations. 
but yes, make sure you're dealing with a registered company. Remember, you know, this company, you're putting your security of, of your home or your business in their hands and make sure it's a company that you can call on and will have good response times in the future if you need to call it. The last thing you want to do is your alarm ringing in the middle of the night and you pick up the phone to, to try and get it and you know, it's only a mobile number for, for someone and are they going to answer at yeah. 2, 3 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Most companies like us would have somebody on call um, after hours and over Christmas, like our lads um, are on a rota. Um, they'll have a day or two each to, to do over the Christmas. So you always need somebody that you can get at the end of the phone if you do have a call out. Well, you would need that sort of confidence, wouldn't you? Um, if people out there want to find out more for you, you deal with everything, as we say, from the domestic to, I mean, the most sophisticated of businesses and all of that. If people want to talk to you, Wilner, how, how can they do that? Yeah, they can just uh, call us um, 052 uh, We're at info at ie, and you'll see a bit of activity from us on our social media channels over the next couple of weeks. We're doing 40 days of giveaways to celebrate our 40 years in business. Uh, we launched a new Instagram, so we're trying to build traffic on that. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, platforms like that. But most people just prefer to pick up the phone and, and ring us and we can come out and do a confidential and a free assessment of your security and uh, have a chat to you and take from there and quote what you need. You get free quotes for things. Very good. Uh, we hear so much about rural crime and, you know, people being afraid in their own homes and rural areas. This would give them a certain amount of confidence anyway, which is what it's all about, really. Yes, isn't it, certainly. You know? yeah. Now, to celebrate the 40 years, you've given us 500 euro to give away this week, which is absolutely fantastic, particularly the week that's in it. And to begin with the chance of winning, uh, we're going to play the TV theme music to a TV show from 1982, which marks the year that Hall Alarms first began operations. Now, we'll have a different TV show every single day. We'll have a daily qualifier and the winner will be drawn on Friday. So for today, here is the theme tune that you have to recognise. Making your way in the world today Takes everything you've got Taking a break from all your worries Sure would help a lot Wouldn't you like to get away? Oh, I think it's a simple one to start us off this week. Sometimes you so can you name the TV show from 1982? And all you have to do is text your answer followed by your name and address to WhatsApp 083 311 We're looking for our daily qualifier, 500 euro in cash at the end of the week, courtesy of Hall Alarms. We wish you the very best and a happy 40th birthday and thanks for coming into us today, Eleanor. Thanks thank very you much. very much. Thank Ron. you. We'll take a break. We're back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, we're hearing there's a major water break in uh, the Golden Bridge area this morning, resulting in supply being gone across a a large area, in fact, around Newcastle, Ardfin and Grange and beyond as well. We're hearing that Irish Water 
and uh, the local authority are working on it at uh, present. So we'll keep you up to date on what's happening there as soon as we get more information. Argentina was crowned champions of the world yesterday after a thrilling World Cup final, which was decided on penalties. Now, it was a long-awaited showdown between Mbappe and Messi, and Messi was declared the victor. To review yesterday's final and look back at this most controversial of World Cups, I'm delighted to be joined now by sports journalist Chris McKenna. Chris, good morning to you. Morning, how are we doing? Um, very well indeed. You're at the airport, you're about to embark on your journey home, Chris. Um, it certainly was a fascinating uh, game. It's been uh, described right across the newspapers today as one of the greatest games. Would you go along with that? Uh, yeah, I have to say, I think it's, well, certainly the greatest World Cup final. Um, they're often, finals are often such a big occasion. There's so much pressure and the managers and stuff are so tactically clever and the games can end up being quite dull and it doesn't. And sometimes they don't spark into life. And maybe for 70 minutes last night, we felt maybe that would be the case because Argentina was tuning it up and they looked like they were cruising to, to a World Cup, which would have been memorable anyway because of what it would have meant for Messi. But then it all changed when when uh, France got back into the game. And yeah, the next, what? 20 minutes in the game and then extra time and the penalties, it, it was just absolutely incredible. But one of the greatest games I've ever been to myself. Um, I've been to some, been lucky enough to be at some uh, amazing ones like Liverpool against Barcelona, Anfield when they pulled mm. it back. Um, great comebacks like that, but that has to top the lot for me. It, just because of the stage and the pressure and everything that, that kind of goes with a World Cup final. For that to play out in front of the Euros, it was it was quite incredible. There was one silver lining, I suppose, for France as uh, Mbappe got the golden boot for the tournament. He has been so impressive in this World Cup, hasn't he? Uh, incredible, and and like to score the amount of goals he scored, to score a yeah. hat trick in a World Cup final. Only two men have ever did it. Jeff Hurst in '66, the last ever to do that. And there was a moment in the game, and it was three-three. It was in extra time, and. He beat two two players or two or three players and he cut inside. And in the stadium, he felt he was going to just find the top corner. It would have been the greatest moment of all time. And everybody wanted Messi to win in such a way. But if, if Mbappe had to pull that off, that would have that would have gone down in folklore as one of the greatest football moments of all time. But his performance from the 70th minute until the very end was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And it's such a shame he's on the losing side. He obviously has a World Cup winner's medal in his pocket already. Mm. but And there may be more to come for him, but he didn't deserve to be on the losing side. Didn't deserve. It was a real goalkeeper final as well, Chris. Uh, not just because it was decided by penalties, but both goalies throughout the game last night. They, they pulled off some very impressive saves, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, Larice made some big saves and, and Martinez right at the end uh, from Colo Muani in in, in uh, stoppage time of extra time. Like that, that was... It looked, he, he hit it so well, he hit it so through. He thought that's going to go in and he got a leg to it and it was just those little moments in the game which added to how good it was but it also adds to the fact that how it could have been such a totally different story we could have been talking about this morning about Randall Colomuani yeah. who before the World Cup a lot of people wouldn't have known about and he could have been the man that ruined Messi's night but the keepers did stand up to it and they, they made they made their impression I wasn't overly impressed by Loris in this penalty shootout I thought he could have done better with a couple of them but 
it had to be critical when when he he, he delivered the performance he did in the, in the, in the normal game. You and I spoke, Chris, at the very beginning of uh, the World Cup. We spoke about the various controversies and one thing and another. I'm just wondering, how do you figure this World Cup will rank, um, taking account of the controversies involved? <laughs> Obviously, from the football point of view, it's one of the great World Cups. Maybe not the highest of qualities. Some of the games were dramatic and entertaining, but the football maybe not at its very best. But for drama... Just sure, sure, like chaos. It was unbelievable, and um, but obviously we mustn't let that distract from what it was. And I've kind of written about it for tomorrow's paper, and it's like it was still like a PR exercise for Qatari, and it ends up for them. Yes, great because the footballs remembered as great, but I think people will also remember the, the bad side of it. And if you want to, how people remember that when Gianni Infantino, the FIFA president, came out last night. Mm presented trophy, he was roundly booed. And that, that would have been a nice reminder for him. He might have thought, well, everybody will forget about it because the football's been so great. We've had this incredible final, one of the best of all time. Maybe everybody will love me. The fans made him well aware of what they thought of him. And I thought that was great because people shouldn't get away for, for what they did to bring this here and for what kind of happened in the last few years since it was brought here. So... Yes, the football's great, but we still mustn't let it be a distraction to the, the, the wrongs that went on to bring a World Cup here and what happened to the, the poor migrant workers and the people here that the legacy lives on from it in two ways. Football great, but also it's been an absolute, in my view, a PR shambles for Qatar and for FIFA. What happens to the brand new stadia that were built uh, especially for the World Cup games. I mean, we're hearing reports, Chris, that many will be just torn down now. Is that is that true? Not necessarily turn, torn down, but they will be changed into things that are not football stadiums. Like Lucille Stadium last night, which hosted the World Cup final, will never, ever host a football game again. It will become like a... It will be converted into a shopping complex, apartment blocks, community centres and stuff like that. Um, some of the stadiums like Albait which hosted a lot of um, games I went to because they hosted a lot of the England games um, that will be converted into a 20,000 seater with apartments and shopping complexes and stuff as part of it now um, so they were kind of like eight massive shrines built by Qatar for this glorious World Cup they became kind of tombs for migrant workers who lost their yeah. lives building them but now they kind of change into something else. Like there'll be small, some of them will be smaller football stadiums that will still be there. But it's incredible to think that a World Cup final stadium will never have another football match ever played in it. Um, yeah, I don't think that will ever have happened before. It's it's incredible, isn't it? One of our listeners wants to know what did you think of the role that VAR, the video assisted ref, uh, played in the World Cup? Some questionable decisions there, particularly in the Japanese game uh, last weekend. Um, what what did you make of all of that? Yeah, VAR is a controversial, and maybe we go through it every week in the Premier League, whether it's actually a help or a hindrance, and. I thought they were poor in certain games. I thought there was, as you said, the Japan one was one of mm. them. There was other games where they just, they should have the benefit of the video replays. They should be able to review these things and get it right. And they time and time again don't get it right. And that's hurting football. 
But I want to, uh, on that point, I want to have a word about the referee from last night's final. Yeah. He and the, and the assistant referees, to be fair, they did a remarkable job. There was the spotting of the, um, the, 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 the dive from Turan to try and nick another penalty. Um, there was the not raising the flag to Argentina's third goal. And we know VAR and the semi-automatic offside system would have spotted that for the offside. But the fact he kept his flag down, didn't give it. It allowed that moment to happen. Um, so they, there's been a lot of VAR controversy and they should be rightly criticised. But we also should remember to, to praise the referees and the officials when they get it right. And to get it right in a massive final, it, it added to how special it was because they could have tainted it if the referee or the assistants had made big mistakes. Obviously, the final, your, your your real highlight. But what about other highlights throughout the last few weeks, uh, Chris? I mean, what stood out for you? Um, just some incredible games. Holland, Argentina in the quarterfinals was was remarkable. Um, the the drama of that game. Morocco, uh, the journey they went on to reach the semi-finals with the squad they have, and the manager was a great character. He came out with some great lines for journalists but the passion he has for African football and how they feel that they've taken it on and, and changed perceptions of African football as he said like people used to see African footballers this year they played lovely football it's all free it's all fun but they played with a European efficiency they had tactics they knew how to contain teams and they've, they've changed perceptions I think of African football and they've created history to get to the last four and the brilliance of their fans and the noise they made. It was incredible, incredible. So there's been some great moments like that. Um, some great individual performances as well, obviously. But Morocco, the final, the drama, it's all added into a great football World Cup soon. Well, Chris, we were delighted you could come on with us today. I know you're about to embark on your journey home, but thank you so much for that. And a happy Christmas to you and your family, Chris. Thank you. You too. Thank Take you. it easy. Bye-bye to you now. Sports journalist Chris McKenna is speaking to us uh, there from Qatar this morning as he heads home after that uh, amazing game last night. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Now, for anybody out on the roads over the weekend, Saturday in particular, it was just so slippy out there. Low temperatures coupled with some overnight rain on Friday. Uh, resulting in most roads in Tipperary becoming absolutely treacherous. Now, there were many accidents, particularly on secondary roads, and Gardaí issued an appeal to motorists not to venture out unless absolutely necessary. But it was also very dangerous if you were a pedestrian. And Peter joins me uh, now. Good morning to you, Peter. Morning, Fran. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. And thank you for coming on with me, Peter. You made contact with us about the footpaths in particular. How bad were they? Uh, on Saturday, they were atrocious. Yeah. The clan mail were every place, but they were touched on Saturday. And it wasn't that we wouldn't have to get any notice from. There was yellow warnings, red warnings, blue warnings, every kind of a warning. And the Saturday before Christmas, you could not walk the footpaths in clan mail. Like, there's something wrong with, with, with the whole setup, like, you know. Now, you're saying we got warning of this, we knew it was coming, and still nothing was done. What, what do you think should have been done, Peter? A great one. It's very simple. A small little quad bike with a spinner on it. You see the farmers doing them every day of the week with, with different crops, different things. 
Det er en mand med nemmere over i hulen, han er uten drengen. Han har planmeldt griset den nærmere. Og det er vi safe for everybody. Det var en sjovlig stoppen her, og en anden en mile away, og en anden en back farther. That's that's disastrous for people. Like I'd be used to slippy condition things like that because I walk in a building site, but mm. I couldn't stand it from my own side. And people go around, we all hold on to another. It was just crazy stuff. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to walk in the poppy fields area, and it mm. was deadly. I mean, really, yeah. really deadly. You know. Yeah, the, everyone walking on the roads yeah. because the roads were greases, or certain amount of them were greases. Yeah, but uh, nobody the footpaths. That, I, I'm sure there was a lot of people hurt. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure there was, because I spoke to some of the people I met in there on Saturday, and they said, I think one of them said about a half an hour ago, this was about quarter to twelve, there was a bit of grief thrown somewhere in front of their shop. Um, you know, like everyone knew this was coming. Everyone knew this was there. Yeah, but you're saying we didn't come up with the goods uh, to, to sort no, it out. No, we, yeah. we never do, fun because... When we get a couple of frosty days, we can't travel the roads. We can't. We get a shower of snow and the whole place closed down. We get a storm, something similar. Like, we're just not able to deal. We're able to tell everyone about it and mm. frighten people. The frightening that was done in the so last talk, week. Talk to me there. about that, Peter, because I've, <clears throat> I've heard that from an awful lot of people over the weekend, that they were scared about these various different, you know, yeah. uh, orange warnings and <clears throat> yellow yeah, warnings it, it, and, you know... Yeah, it, it is actually something that our politicians, our government, ever need to look at. They have their life frightened out of people. Because, um, personally myself, I don't take too much notice of any of these warnings. Mm. But I know an awful lot of people that really, really take them seriously. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're, they're so confined crazy. to their homes then, is that is that what you mean? Yeah, they're just, they're just afraid. They're just, it's, it's crazy, crazy stuff. If they put a lot more of that money and effort into... Um, sorting the problem. Yeah. Like, this is gone now, okay, we'll forget about it. But this should never happen again. There like, should be a I, plan in place, you're saying? Yes, and it's it's very simple. Ask the people that know about this stuff how you would actually greet footpaths, how you would sort this in an hour at 7 o'clock of a Saturday morning the week before Christmas. Like, it's not rocket science, you know, it's it's mm. pretty, pretty basic stuff. But you're Peter, like myself, you would have seen situations when the snows here, we grind to a complete halt, whereas oh, it, a place it, like it, New York can have that sorted within a couple of hours and, you know... Yeah, it, 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 it's, an, it's an absolute joke, yeah. We just... Um, and especially if there's, a, if there's a warning of a show there's no one in Dublin, the whole thing goes into Milltown, like, you know, so it's mm. crazy stuff. And, you know, yeah, so. funnily enough, when you made your point to us, you were saying uh, you've, everything that we've spoken about so far, but you said at the same time are politicians in Dublin having a laugh, a change of leader, but the same team. Yeah, it's it's... I think that's what they should have been working on Saturday. Like, none of us are actually taking this, this change over seriously. What difference does it make? They're the same people. They're exactly the same thing. I'll take your seat for the next couple of years and you take mine. And they're taking people out of out of um, ministries that they were actually pretty good at. Like, Simon Coveney was a top-class, um, in my book, a top-class foreign affairs minister. And now, now it's me all Martin else, taking over that, yeah? Yeah, he'd probably be brilliant as well. I don't know. Mm. But... Like it's just oh I want that job, mm. like the the the, the, the like the um, housing minister the one that all the kick up was about was lifting his position, 
Mm. And the ones that seem to be doing a good job were changed some other way. Mm. And they all congratulating one another and all the rest of it. Mm. And the rest of the country scared they had a life to go outside the door because they can't stand in the footpath. And the health minister left in place, uh, which even people yeah, within yeah, his own party wasn't uh, too, too happy yeah, there's about. Something, yeah, there's something going on there. So look, that we don't know about obviously there's there's some there's some deal signed that that was that was going to happen if he came from independent to the social democrats to Fianna Fáil it was you're obviously going to get some sort of a deal that mm. they can't probably back out of you know yeah well at this stage I suppose with two years to go I mean it would be a poison chalice for for anybody <laughs> to take I guess at this point you know yeah I don't yeah. think there were anyone rushing for that job to be honest about it but um, it would be great to have seen a re a change. Yeah. Because maybe this government could turn things around if they put in a few new faces. And, you know, does well, do you, do you think it's years. tired at this point? Do you think it needs new blood and new passion? And I actually that? think that politics in this country is tired with the last 40, 35 years, you know. Do you? Like, yeah, there was there was great passion and and politics in the Charlie Hockey, Garrett Fitzgerald, all of those times, like, there was... There seemed to be a cause, there seemed to be something to fight for, there seemed to be something going on. But mm. now it's just, look, we'll give you this for a couple of years and you'll give it back to us and so between us all we'll stay in power and we'll, mm. we'll work it all out. You I'm know? sure there's people screaming at the radio now that, that uh, Charlie's passion was all about himself. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, and, and, and uh, I, I agree with you, like, mm. you know, if in my day I thought as O'Malley, if he got the position at the time, would have made an excellent T-shirt for our country. Mm. Mm. But obviously, the corruption and the rest of it came into it even back then, yeah. like you know. I, I, I think you have to go back for yeah. Like, I think you have to go back further, even Peter. I think yeah. you have to go back to Don O'Malley and uh, uh, back to Labas and, and back yeah. to Noel Brown and stuff. I mean, well, you, these were people with vision and with totally. You know, yeah. yeah, it's like who nobody spoke to me today yet, and I've been out on the road for a couple of hours about. God, to change a government. <laughs> so it means <laughs> nothing to nobody, is no, that what you're saying? it means absolutely nothing to nobody. Nobody's talking about any of this, you yeah. know. And if you're not talking about stuff, then it's not out. It's not what's the real, you know, it's not what's going on. So it's... Um, yeah, like, there, there was nobody morning, clapping their hands and saying, God, Peter, now Leo is back as Taoiseach again, thank God. Nobody no, said that to you. No, uh, nobody was saying... Um, thank God that um, Leo grew up here and he changed up things like, you know, so, uh, no, nobody said anything. It's as if nothing happened in that sense, like, you know. It's kind of, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? Peter, a happy Christmas to you and yeah. yours. And mind yourself on the footpaths, won't you? And, and, and you, and before you go, uh, I was a Messi fan last night and I was um, sitting on the edge of my seat for some, some final and, and some... How good was it, Peter? It First half was the first sixty minutes was just more uh, um, Argentina. They looked absolutely brilliant. Uh, if they got the third goal, they'd probably have won it by six or seven. Yeah. But when the first goal went in from France, everything changed. They started getting nervous. Um, I thought France were in the driving seat then, and I would have put my couple of pound on France to pull it off last night after the first goal going in because Argentina. They got nervous. Eamon Sweeney in the Indo today, he says, the greatest World Cup final, no, this was the greatest game ever. 
Would you would you go along with that? No, not no. the greatest game, not right. at all. Okay. It was exciting and it was great, but the, the standard of football in the first half, the first 60 minutes, especially from the French, was really appalling. Like you know, There's right. no way you could say it was the greatest game ever, in my book. All right, all right. Yeah. Somebody yeah. else saying we didn't mention the Greens when we were having a go with it. Do you want to mention the Greens, Peter? Who are they? Happy Christmas, Peter. <laughs> hey, and, and to all your gang there, um, Fran, and uh, I hope you have a great, great Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, thanks very much indeed, Thank Peter. You. Look look after Cheer. yourself. Good uh, news is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Uh, welcome back to Tip Today, 1800 Now we're delighted uh, to be involved in uh, Hall Alarms celebrations of 40 years in business. Uh, they're going since 1982 and they've given us €500 Euro to give away at the end of this week. We're looking for a finalist every day in our competition and you just have to identify the TV show by hearing a little of the theme tune. Uh, these are, will all be TV shows from 1982. This is the one in question. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Oh, it's very, very easy, isn't it? All right, all you have to do is WhatsApp your answer along with your details to 83 311 That puts you into the draw. We'll pick a finalist every day. And on Friday, then, we will give away the €500. Euros. It's a lovely prize and indeed a big happy birthday to Hall Alarms. Now, Trooper Sean Rooney's body has been repatriated home from Beirut in Lebanon uh, today. His family uh, will be reunited with the 24-year-old's remains at Casement Airdrome at Baldonnell in Dublin this morning. Now, three investigations are underway into his death in an attack during UN peacekeeping duty in Lebanon on Wednesday last. Now, on Friday, we spoke to Michael Walsh, a retired commandant with the Defence Forces and was deployed on many tours uh, abroad. One of our listeners, John, is a former soldier and joins me now. John, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Thank you for having me on the show there. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate you coming on with us. John, can you tell us something of your experience? You, What, what years were you in in Lebanon? Uh, I've done nine tours in Lebanon there, um, um, friend. Yeah. 53rd, 57th, uh, the 60th, 64th, 73rd, 74th, back-to-back, um, 83rd and 84th, back-to-back. And my last trip was the <clears throat> the uh, 86th Battalion, which that year was a very sad year too. And what will you remind us of that year, John? Um, I was doing back... To, uh, I said I'd do one more tour to Lebanon there, so I went over and I was with B Company. I normally do all the... My trips were Camp Shamrock and Tibnine, you know, yes. and uh, the old Shamrock and uh, the new Shamrock. But having said that, friend, different trips are different. Um, that particular trip, um, you know, it was a very sad trip at the very end. 
Um, up to then, we didn't lose any people or any um, any lads, but apparently these lads were going home on leave as well. There were three young boys that I was with for the whole six months, and I came very close to them, and they used to call me <coughs> Dad. I was a bit older, and um, I looked after them. Looked after We looked after each other. Mm. But having said that, friend, they were just going, going home up to Beirut as well, and it was a Nile spillage and, um, from a truck. And the, the two vehicles that were going to Beirut, en route to Beirut, for them lads to go on and leave, hit the, hit the aisle and spun, and they went from one tier on the motorway down to the bottom tier, and they were killed. Oh, my God. And uh, there were three lovely... Uh, the oldest is actually... Uh, I won't mention their names. Mm. He was 24. They were from the Curra. The other two boys was 18 and I think nine, just nearly 20. Oh my God, they were so young, John. They were so young. Different trips happen in different times, Fran. Mm. Every trip varies. Um, you could have a safe trip there, but you're conscious all the time of, of you know, of safety. But to tell you the truth, um, the Irish troops, I'm going to talk about the Irish troops, and it's a sad thing when, when this thing uh, with Private Rooney there and young trooper Carney there, and my deepest sympathy to the family of the Rooney family there, and it's a very sad thing. It's a very sad emotion for the... Uh, the ex-Irish troops of of uh, of the Irish Army and also his comrades in Lebanon and any UN vets, we feel it from our hearts. And I hope that Trooper Carney will pulls through. Gotcha. And, uh, we, we we hope so too. Well. And, and the two lads in the accident, I hope that they they get emotionally kind of um, help. Yes, because I, I saw that video yeah, and I know yeah. there will be great trauma for them, I would imagine, in, yeah, in yeah, the years to come. Now, as I said to you, asked me there about about the, the trips. Every trip is, is very different mm. trips. Uh, and another trip, I, I was in Shamrock there. Um, I, I'm not too sure of the year now. It's around um, the 90s there. Mm. And um, I was in Shamrock and uh, two armoured cars came in and they were looking for a ration. So what we done, friend, uh, my sergeant, Eddie Donovan, is from McAlone, unfortunately passed away. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, he passed away, and one of his lads came in from Athlone looking for looking for a few rations. He we we fixed him up with the rations. He, him and, and the two armoured cars left uh, Tibnine, uh, the old Shamrock, mm. uh, on the route back to the one of the the, the OPs, and on route they, they came under crossfire uh, from different factions, and apparently he's flak jacket got caught in the turret of the armoured car, the APC. Yes. And unfortunately, he could not get into the turret fast enough to get down on the cover. He was killed instantly. Oh, my God. And he just left us in Shamrock only a half an hour. And to get news like that, and, you know, different, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But overall, um, um, friend, I will talk about the Irish troops. The Irish troops, people don't realise here in Ireland until things happen, uh, what the Irish troops do abroad. The Irish troops are the biggest contingent in my time abroad, and they um, <clears throat> they cover an area. As you know, Lebanon is only the size, I think, of Munster. I'm not too sure. It's a very small country. But the Irish troops cover a massive area there 
there was 1,200 troops there at one stage, the whole battalion, around 11 or 1,200 troops. And they're broken up into B Company, A Company, C Company and Headquarter Company. So they cover a big area. And then you have the First Mobile Reserve. The First Mobile Reserve con- consists of the French, the Fijians, the Irish, all different, uh, you know, armoured car sections, and, and they're, they're patrolling. And, and what happens, John, because, forgive my ignorance on this, but in Camp Shamrock, for example, I know there was an older camp and now the new Camp Shamrock, is, is it only Irish guys and girls are, are in that camp, is it? No, what happens in, well, you're going back to the old Shamrock there, Fran, it's a stopover there from, you know, for food. Uh, you would have the French passing through on patrols, you could have the Dutch, Dutch only up the road from the Norwegians or just up the, up the top of the road from us. Uh, we're all around each other. Um, the Fijians then are down further down, mm. and they're all around. Uh, the Swedes are around there. You know, they're all broken up. The Finns are. It's the covering area. Right. But what happens in Shamrock is there. Shamrock is the headquarters of the food. The by time, they used to, the, the the different companies would come in to get supplied with food and right. different things. And it's to, like the, the the work that the Irish do there, uh, you know, and dangers of Tipmean Village. And and just 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 to make a point there, what the Irish do, the Irish uh, make kind of a friendship with the the local people, and uh, mm. they trust us, and they're glad to have us there because when you're over the front. A lot of politicians come over through my time there, and God forbid if I might, might say his name, Noel Darwin and his wife came over with Bertie Hearn in '95, mm. and our good Dave Stapleton, the chief of staff, came yes. over. And for Noel Darwin to see what was going on, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe what the Irish troop, the Irish troops do, and the amount of work, and the peacekeeping. Peacekeeping, it, it tells its toll over the, the the four decades. 40, I think it's 48, uh, 48 lads have died. Which, and, which, which is an unbelievable number. And, and tell me about, do you think, because, I mean, you talk about working with the local people there and getting on well with them, but apparently now, John, it's more difficult to do that and there's a lot of suspicion about Unifil in the in the local communities as well. Is it more dangerous now than it was in your day, do you no, think? No, no, it's not dangerous. It, look, everything is dangerous about Lebanon. You, you cannot trust. But where we were in Tibnino over the four decades, Fran, we had the trust of... The, there was mainly all Muslim people there. Mm. The Christians were in... You know, I, I don't want to go into detail. The Christians are they're backed by the Israelis, mm. their faction. Mm. And they caused the Irish a lot of trouble because the Irish do do their jobs. They keep those from coming into, you know, villages. Mm. The Asbullah villages, they're grand unless something happens. If something happens, then it stirs up a bit of trouble. Mm. So then the Irish and other contingents, uh, they get, you know, they go into safety motion, they go into protection, and we all help each other. But you have to be, you know, this, mm. God forbid, I, I, you know, the, what happened the other day, it's unreal. It's just probably... Yeah, just can I ask you about that? Because, I mean, you would have been used to that route, I guess, to, to Beirut. Yeah. And how how do you think that they would have gotten separated from the others? I, I don't know, you see, Fran. See, the two cars, either the, the front car is the leader. Yes. So they'd, they'd be in kind of motor rollers. They'd be in, you know, with with radio. They have modern stuff now in the army. They yeah. have my time to the... 
77 tattoos to hand radio, but they had more modern stuff now, Fran. Mm. Everything is out there. Is, the Moorwangs, the armored cars are all fantastic. Um, they have, you know, it's all protective and it's all double armor. What happened was, uh, no, we'll find out very shortly, mm. hopefully. I, I'd say, I don't want to be saying the wrong thing, but uh, they probably just hit the wrong village and mm. it um, there was like a lot of um, young young lads there are there and they don't have a clue about that and they just see an army, a vehicle coming in there and they think it's threatening. The reason I say they got uh, mixed up is because I think they said they were travelling at dusk. Mm. Now, you, you found that unusual? Is I it? found that unusual, Fran, because when you go to Beirut, you get up early in the morning and my time, you're brought down to a route by what we call, um, uh, it's a route that we take down to Tyre, mm. uh, where the Ben Hur film was made, the city of Tyre. And we have a big armour down there, Big, it's a big armoury, where the weapons, when you go down there off the aerial of operations, you're brought down in armoured cars and you're protected. And then the armoured cars go back to the AO. What happens then, then you want a bus then to, you go down to Sidon through Beirut. And you, you might have another, I won't say an escort, but you, you might have the military police with you and you might have the Lebanese. If, you know, if it was a big convoy, you have to have the, like the Gardaí, you have to have a big, but it's only two cars travelling. Uh, they say the UN, and they don't mind the UN because the UN are, you know, they know that they're, they're peacekeepers and they don't bother, you know, it's, you know. Yeah. And we leave our arms in there, and then when you come back from leave, uh, friend, you go back up to Tyre again, you collect your weapons, the armour car section, uh, each each company would look after their own people, like B Company would look after their uh, people, A mm. Company, which is Dublin, C Company, which is the West, Galway, they look after their own people. Now, um, and headquarters would look after their own people. Now, when you go back up to the air, then, if you're in Shamrock and it's late at night, I'm Fran, mm. what happens is the armoured cars from B Company or A Company would come into Shamrock in, 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 in Tiffany, uh, the new Shamrock or the old Shamrock right. when I used to have, and they would collect you and they bring you around the different where you are in the outpost. Um, they could bring you by Chihun, they could bring you out to a Terry or Hadata and C Company out to brass shit. Right. But, you know, but it would be unusual, you think, to be travelling at dusk. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. Look, right. I don't okay. want to be saying anything with those lads. No, I know, I know, yeah. The, the, the um, Sunday Indo yesterday ran with the theory that this was a mistake, essentially, and they were mistaken well, for, for, for others. But um, I heard Declan Power, the security analyst, going ballistic over that and saying that, uh, you know, it was definitely a deliberate attack by Hezbollah. Um I, I'm I, gathering from you, it could have been a mistake, John, is that what you're saying? I, I wouldn't say a mistake, but on the lads, it was a bad mistake, and poor uh, that uh, young Rooney there, that young soldier, is gone. Yeah. And young Carney is, is fighting for his life, and yeah. the other two poor young fellas. The, the leading car, they shouldn't have... Um, normally they don't travel, and they said that, that vehicle are armoured, 
or, mm. or you know the vehicle or or armour. I believe so. I, yeah. I don't think so. Look, I saw the I saw the rounds going through there. They're just an army nizzing patrol like we have over there. They should have travelled if they're going with dust. They should have travelled in the armoured cars. The, yeah, the other yeah. thing, could I finally ask you, because there are calls from some quarters this weekend for Irish troops to withdrawn from tours of, of Lebanon and working with Unifil. I'm just wondering, what do you think about that? Should Irish troops still be deployed uh, abroad when now we see they are facing a very uh, extensive well, danger? Yes, that's a kind of a politician question. And the thing is, like... The politicians that want, you know, get things right in perspective of the mandate and different things. But that particular village, now I'm not too sure that that village is down, Ajibedet, is down there probably silence, not mm. a, a stronghold. But the elders down there of the village, the elders of that village or the elders of surrounding, they can, they can control the shots. If I may say this in, in another way, Fran, if people don't understand what I mean. I don't want to be saying the wrong thing, but, you know, um, we say uh, the provisional IRA, the leader of the provisional IRA, if he doesn't give an order to the younger fellas and the young fellas take that into their hands, well, then they're out of control and it's up to the, the leaders of the head guys of, of, you know, of the provisionals. I'm only saying this in, in, mm, in, a, yeah. in, in a manner that I don't mean any disrespect. The elders of the village are going mad over this because this has drawn attention to them and the Lebanese um, government and the Lebanese soldiers and police will be all hailing that village. But being in Nasbullah village, the Nasbullah are a different race. They don't... Uh, they, they still control uh, their village. Just like here, they have law and order. We have law and order with yeah. the Gardaí here. They have law and order with their elders. And the elders call the shot. Just like over and probably over in... Um, you know, over in um, yeah, the different places, um, mm. you know, um, or the other wars where they have elders there, Afghanistan, for instance. Right. The, the elders, they go around the kind of, a, um, you know, around the room and they have their shy and their talk. Right, but it, it, it looks like this, uh, it looks like things got out of control and very, very badly out yes, of control as well. Probably, it's, it's probably, look, Fran, if you're in, it's like anything, if you're in Ireland up up yeah. Dublin, and uh, there's a right going on, and you have one Egypt that that shouts and roars, and he goes out of hand, and then other other fellas are there just to cause trouble, and then the whole lot goes out of hand. That's probably what happened there, and the surrounded the care. Now I don't know if the lads were armed. I'm not too sure, and that was a question asked there. Uh, by the your man uh, or the TD there, Barry. Is that but, his name? but a lot of the time, the, the the you wouldn't be armed out there. Is that it? Oh no, no, you're, you're armed at all times, friend. Um, you're, you're armed at all times. Your rifle is your best friend. But as I say to you, like when I was there, you, they go down to tire. Yes. And you're armed. You're armed going away, and you hand your arm into the army. You sign it in, and then when you come back from leave, friend. You go back down to tire. The, the convoy wait for you there. Now, if there's a big convoy there, sometimes you'd have the armored cars. The first mobile reserve would come down and bring you up to the AO. And then, when you come close to Irish back, that's the area of operations uh, in Shamrock. Those lads, the first mobile reserve will head off. Um, you know, they'll yeah. head off the roadway. Yeah. And then your own crowd will come in and pick you up and bring you back to your companies where you're where you're from. If you're from B Company, you know uh, Dublin right. or, or the West. But you, you are saying to me, John, that you wouldn't go along with the notion of 
of taking troops out, would you? No, I don't think so, because the, the work friend that they're doing there right. is tremendous. And that will, that's like everything else. Unfortunately, you pay a price for peacekeeping, and yeah. unfortunately, you know, as I said, you're 48 lives gone. Mm. And, you know, and price for peacekeeping is unbelievable. You could go out on one trip, you might have an easy mm. trip, a kind of a swan trip, as they call it. Um, but the, uh, my my point is, you know, if the Irish people, and especially when the people are listening to your show there, to understand what the, the peacekeepers do and what the Irish troops do out there, they're, they're tremendous. I loved, I, I, I as a soldier, um, loved, uh, you know, and I understand, I understand because I, I've lost a lot of friends out there and, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and there was one time there, friend, if I may say to you, another trip I went home there, um, it was around the late 80s there, and I never met this guy, you know, uh, I will mention his name, Manny Armstrong from Seed Company, and there was three of them killed. He went, he went home to um, his baby, his wife was having her first child and the baby wasn't born. And he went back to Lebanon and it was on prime time and he was, was three of them killed on a roadside oh bomb. God. And that was a big investigation too, and that was a mistake too because the road wasn't mineswept, and things, you know. And ever since then, you know, yeah. people have lost their lives out. Their loved ones have lost their loved, you know. But the Irish troops through the Congo, friend, we've lost tremendous. I think I, I think we lost about maybe twenty in the Congo. I'm not too sure. And right through, we've lost around seventy six lives all told. Right, and uh, if anything good is coming from this, we're getting more of a grasp of what's happening in Lebanon and also we're remembering uh, the people that you're talking about there, John. Yes. Uh, John, um, I must wrap it up there, but it was really interesting to, to talk to you. Just, yes, John. Just before I go to yeah. you, if ever, God forbid, that you do get a chance, like, a lot of reporters went over there, yeah. we had reports through the years, and they saw, you know, they've seen what the Irish troops can do. If ever you get a chance there, friend, and there's an opportunity, which you should, try and get over to Tipneen there and you'll see the amount of work that the Irish have done to the villages over there. Uh, there's a foster home up there, a school mm. that the Irish put together. And it's fantastic work that the Irish troop did. I, I mean, it was on, um, it was on I, I prime time there yeah. some time ago, whatever it was, about you. And you have the Arabs speaking Irish. You know, and, and, and we brought up with the... I mean, when I first went over there, uh, the dumps were there, and you had the Palestinians eating from the dumps. And it was hard to see the children. And, My God, and I'm sure it was. John, bad. sadly, I, I'm just uh, out of time, but it was really fascinating to talk to you, John. And uh, thank you so thank much you for your much. time this morning, John. John. And listen, just before you go there, again, mm -hmm. I want to give my deepest sympathy to the Rooney family. And I wish him the best, and God help us. And the the Carney, Trooper Carney, there in Cork, I hope to God that he will pull through, and the other two lads. And above all, the lads are serving over there. I hope they all get their heads together and all right, and, and, and walk away for the, for the sake of those by Well, John, a, a happy Christmas to you and your family, and, and thank you, you so much. Thank you very much, Fran. Thank, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank, thank you, and bye-bye to you now. That's John, former soldier himself, uh, many tours indeed, in Lebanon with uh, his take on what happened, uh, that uh, tragedy that happened in Lebanon last week. We'll be right back. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Time now for our global politics segment and uh, delighted to be joined in the studio as usual by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Uh, Good uh, to chat to you today. We're going to start off by talking about uh, Africa because, uh, as you say yourself, everybody wants to be friends with uh, the African countries these days. What's happening? Yeah, everybody wants to be friends with Africa and we now have over 1.4 billion people living on the African continent, so a huge population We know it's home to vast swathes of natural resources, minerals and what they call rare earth materials, things like nickel and cobalt and things like that. But it's also becoming increasingly significant from a geopolitical perspective. China has invested hugely in the continent. But last week, a story which caught my eye, the White House hosted what's known as the EU-Africa Leaders' Summit. So it invited the heads of several African countries to come and speak, some remotely, uh, some arrived in person. And it's, I suppose, further evidence of the way in which Joe Biden is trying to, to woo Africa. He sees it as, you know, extremely significant. He's trying to consolidate friendships, bolster relations between the two countries, And he's particularly eager to advance America's agenda because he is wary of the threat which China and to a slightly lesser extent Russia Mm. poses. Uh, Both both China and Russia, as I say, China invested hugely in the country. Russia also has a presence. You know, I was reading through it. A lot of the African countries have been, could we say, neutral in terms of the war in Ukraine. 17 of them refused to back a a UN declaration condemning Mm. the invasion. So we see Putin has kind of maybe built a a coalition of support among certain African nations in respect of the war. And China has kind of done similarly. It's invested huge, huge amounts of capital and cash into the continent and I think America is only really waking up to this right now. Some of the African countries are smaller countries uh, of course and uh, they've got leaders that we probably wouldn't recognise their names. Yeah and that's the thing you know you you have the lights of Mozambique's Philip Inouye, Somalia's Sheikh Mohamud and uh, Paul Kagame the Rwandan leader. Again people not probably going to be able to identify who these people are, but they are significant. And the fact that they are speaking at these summits is kind of indicative of how important Africa is becoming. All that said, trade with the African continent, American trade with the African continent accounts for just 1% of America's overall foreign trade, which is incredible. And most of that is petroleum, i.e. oil and gas, from the lights of Nigeria, Nigeria and Angola. So, you know, only a fraction... Uh, of their overall trade, which I found astonishing. The US, though, as I say, is eager to advance ties with smaller African nations. If we look at the African continent as a whole, South Africa, the wealthiest country, followed by the likes of Algeria and Morocco. Morocco had that fantastic run in the World Cup. Uh, You know, and it is a country which is 
relatively stable in terms of it, since the Arab Spring, it, uh, Arab Spring, it has kind of retained its democratic credentials, yes. should we say. A lot of countries are very, very different. They are not democratic. They are authoritarian regimes and they are home, it has to be said, to lots of political instability, civil conflict, corruption. Yes. And and while America might be courting these countries, I mean, what 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 is the feeling backwards on that? I mean, how, how do they feel about America? Well, you see, this is the thing, and they have remained, I think, a little bit ambiguous. I think a lot of the African countries want to keep their options open, if you know what I mean. Yes. They see that China has invested huge amounts of money into their country. A lot of them have actually fallen into a debt trap, uh, what's known as a debt trap with China. In other words, they owe huge amounts of cash and capital to the Chinese government because of the investment. They're happy to take the investment. Why wouldn't they? They need all the money and the infrastructural development that they can get. But at the same time, they are beholden to them. Mm. It, it, well, what about Europe, uh, where Africa is concerned? But because now we've uh, our dependence on Russia. I mean, we've uh, hopefully we've learned our lesson on that. I mean, sh- are they not looking to Africa? As well? well, we are to a certain extent. The EU has to a certain extent and has tried to forge relations with Africa, but it is slightly worrying because we talked previously in the show about kind of a geopolitical shift that the fulcrum of the global economy was kind of shifting towards the east. It's becoming a battle of two superpowers, America and China. And then you've other emerging countries and continents like India and Africa. And Europe is becoming somewhat peripheral. And from what I can gather here, Europe kind of needs to get its act together with Africa. I mean, recently we had the French withdrawing a peacekeeping presence across the Sahel region, The Sahel region is that area below the Sahara Desert, which is home to huge amounts of terrorism and terrorist conflict. It's an incredibly volatile, unstable region. The EU would previously have had peacekeeping forces there, but we saw the French withdrew theirs quite recently. So I think there is a little bit of ambiguity in Mm. terms of Europe's exact position in relation to Africa. I suppose Europe's uh, history in Af- Africa wouldn't be illustrious either, you know, so maybe there's shades of that still there. Well, that, yeah. that's the that's the very thing, and of course yeah. we saw World Cup semi-final, France and Morocco, France, a former coloniser yeah. of Morocco, and a lot of the European countries would have been colonial powers and presided over atrocities in their awful countries. Atrocities. Awful, 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 awful atrocities. Belgium in particular, and yeah. the Congo. So, you know, the sentiment there, the attitude of African countries, you know, could not be described as friendly. That's for sure. Let's move to uh, Venezuela then, because uh, we spoke about this, didn't we, uh, about uh, Venezuela? We did. We've spoken, we've spoken a little bit about it before, and people will remember, a couple of years ago, there was so much controversy about Ve- Venezuela Nicolas Maduro, the left-wing dictator, he took power from, took over from Hugo Chavez back in 2013 and presided over what has been kind of disastrous economic and political policies to the extent that it led to that appalling refugee crisis a couple of years ago. We then had the emergence of Juan Guaido, which was uh, one of the, I suppose, the rebellious leaders Mm. against the Maduro regime. And it has struck me recently, I was reading a story he has effectively disappeared from the political circuit. He's still there. Uh, he's still recognised by a number of countries as the de facto leader of mm. the country. 
but his authority has waned significantly. Meanwhile, Maduro's status on the global stage, anyway, has actually been enhanced. He attended the COP27 summit in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt recently, met on the sidelines of that summit with French President Emmanuel Macron, and Macron addressed him as leader, which I think was as Venezuela leader. Do they not recognise him as leader? Technically they don't. Technically they don't, and, and that was the funny thing. But I think there is now an acceptance that... A little bit like the Middle East, a little bit like countries like Saudi Arabia and that, Venezuela is back in demand. Why Mm. is that? Because they have huge, vast oil reserves. They sit on 20% of the world's proven oil reserves. So technically, they're the most oil-rich Oil rich country on the planet, or should I say, oil abundant country on the planet. Mm. They don't, uh, they have failed. Are are they making a bags of how they. Oh, they they have just, you know, a lesson in how not to exploit natural resources is is how I would describe it. Because they have all this oil wealth, all this mineral wealth, yet they have failed to exploit and harness it. The, The state oil company has been an absolute disaster. And to give you an idea of just how unproductive the company is, at the height of the kind of Chavez era, when Venezuela was doing relatively well, Average annual oil output was about 3 million barrels a day, which is high. Right now, it's around 650,000. So more than two-thirds of a decrease. That is just emblematic of how how disastrous the company has become and how disastrous the government policy has become. And then, of course, we have Western nations demanding that, uh, that Venezuela become more transparent and liberal in terms of its governance structure. The thing is, that doesn't really seem to be the case. The 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 f- curious thing which I found, Nicolas Maduro's uh, approval rating is currently at 26%, so it's not high, yet he's still only a fraction lower than the most popular opposition figure, which is a guy called Manuel Rosales. Guaido doesn't even really feature. Mr. Guaido is polling at 16%. So Venezuela might be back on the map, but it's economic, it's political, it's fiscal problems remain very heavily entrenched. It's very interesting, isn't it? Will you let me take a break, uh, Thomas? We'll be back with more for Thomas in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.i Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Welcome back to our global politics uh, slot with uh, Thomas Conway. Um, One of our listeners chiming in with what we were saying really, Thomas, and saying the reason why up-and-coming African countries are dealing with Russia and China is partly the horrendous legacy left uh, on the African continent by France, the UK, Belgium and the US with a century of slavery. And this person also goes on to say, as for Venezuela... Um, they were basically cast out because they wouldn't take orders from the United States or sell its oil in US dollars and stuff. But certainly where 
where the um, legacy of Europe is concerned, it's it's still very much there. Yeah, appalling atrocities perpetrated by many European countries. I mean, we spoke just there off air about Belgium and King Leopold. Oh, my God. So you can understand it. I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about, really. You can understand why there would be that kind of negative sentiment there towards Europe. Was that for the rubber fields in in Congo, was it? I think so. I think so. And again, we go back to the point, Africa, full of these resources and economic potential, yet has failed to harness and exploit it. Incredible. Now, uh, Latin America, let's move there. Um, Cocaine conundrum at the moment, uh, Thomas. What is that exactly? Yeah, this was was a very interesting story The Economist ran. Now, I should say first, I'm not advocating the legalisation of cocaine. We, We should say at the outset that it is a terribly dangerous stimulant drug wreaking havoc in communities across Ireland as well. But I suppose particularly in the lights of Latin America, we know at this stage that Latin America is not really a safe place. The the region has been afflicted by drug-related gang violence, political instability, few statistics. The murder rate in Colombia, three times that of the United States. In Mexico, it's four times as high. We mentioned on the programme before, an average of 25 people disappear per day in Mexico. And most of that is related to drug related or is down to drug related gang warfare. So you know we have a remarkably grim situation there and efforts to kind of address the problem have been largely unsuccessful. But in recent weeks and months, a couple of politicians, a couple of senior politicians, the likes of Gustavo Petro of Colombia and the former now former Peruvian uh, Prime Minister Pedro Pedro Castillo have openly called for the decriminalisation of cocoa leaf production. What that effect is, decriminalising the consumption of cocaine. Right. So So all the gangs and all of these people involved then would be what? Would they be redundant in some ways? Well, this is, I suppose, the hope. This is the aspiration. And we have to look at it, I suppose, the countries involved. So most of the world's cocaine is manufactured in three countries. Bolivia accounts for 26%. Peru, 13.5%, and of course, Colombia, a staggering 61% of all cocaine cultivated globally. And so, you know, Pablo Escobar may be dead and he's gone, but I mean, the cocaine industry is, is thriving, is flourishing even. Global efforts to subdue cocaine production have been, as I say, largely unsuccessful. The US has ploughed as much as $10 billion into Colombia to suppress production. It has paid people to local police forces to spray the cocoa bushes and yank them up by hand. But as soon as they as soon as they have, I suppose, raised one to the ground, another one pops up on another hillside. Right, because it's so profitable. Because it's so profitable, yeah. because the industry is so lucrative and because the drug lords are just so powerful. So, as I say, the economists had this piece suggesting that legalization of the drug would actually render it less dangerous. And I suppose it's it's kind of similar in certain ways to the marijuana debate in this country. Yeah. You know, there is there's echoes of that, but if cocaine were to be fully legalized, it will allow it would allow the drug to be produced as a strictly regulated, highly taxed product, somewhat like whiskey or cigars. Now, another problem it would address, it would ensure because it would be regulated it would be potentially less toxic because a lot of the deaths which we're seeing from cocaine now is because it's mixed with another other illicit substances, yes. the likes mm. of fentanyl, 
uh, cocaine-related deaths in America have risen fivefold since 2010, and that's primarily because the gangs have been cutting it with fentanyl, and that can prove lethal. So the argument really goes that proper legalisation would disempower the gangs, but it's worth remembering, as I've said, cocaine is hugely addictive and it can be extremely dangerous. It devastates lives in this country around the world. So a big question yeah. there for policy makers. Absolutely, and you make the point yourself, 50 years ago Nixon uh, had his, his war on drugs. And, the, this uh, is the amazing thing, and yeah. since that war on drugs, since he launched that campaign, I mean, cocaine production and cocaine smuggling has skyrocketed. You know, so it has been kind of unsuccessful, to say to, the least. To say the very least, indeed. What should we look out for in the, the weeks to come, do you think, Thomas? Well, obviously, you know, people are people are getting their Christmas turkeys ready and looking forward to Christmas, but we have to remember at the forefront of our minds that the war in Ukraine is still, is still trundling on snow carpet in Kiev and Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Zelensky on two completely different pages. We had... President Zelensky in the past week floating the idea of peacetime arriving in 2023. Yes. Meanwhile, we have these rumours that Russia is preparing to launch a new offensive in the U- in the new year. So completely divergent attitudes. I mean, support has remained stable for Ukraine across Europe, which is good to see despite the energy crisis. But it is a it's an incredibly volatile situation, and at present, both sides remain gridlocked. There seems to be no real end in sight. There's no real diplomatic Absolutely. off-ramp. And uh, is it today Putin is going to Belarus? Uh, he is. Or? He's trying to, loo, uh, to woo Lukashenko, the Belarusian leader, uh, wants yeah. more support for the war from there. One of the few allies, of course, of Russia, Belarus. So very difficult to know how it will play out. Mm, for sure. And what about Hungary and the EU? Is there a bit of argy-bargy? Yeah, I decided just to reference this story because it's emblematic. I mean, Hungary and the EU constantly fighting, constantly at loggerheads on various issues. The latest conflagration between the two is uh, on the rather controversial issue of transgender rights. So the Czech EU presidency wrote to members of the European Union a couple of weeks ago uh, complaining that effectively the EU's leadership on gender-related issues was being undermined by Hungary. Surprise, surprise. So the EU is pushing to introduce more inclusive language, the Hungary doesn't want this. Uh, Viktor Orban is sternly against it. He, of course, strong conservative kind of Christian sure. principles yeah. there. So another another episode of kind of conflict between Hungary and the EU. It's nothing new. And look, Viktor Orban isn't going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So we can expect more of these little kind of mini conflagrations. I think so indeed. And starvation in South uh, Sudan. Yeah, probably a sour note to finish on, but one that needs to be highlighted. Obviously, we talked about Africa at the top of the programme. South Sudan is a nation, it was only disco- or it was only founded in 2011, one of the youngest nations on the planet, but it has been beset by conflict and food insecurity, and the country is now on the brink of famine. So, you know, we have these African nations filled with tales of violence, corruption and food insecurity, and South Sudan offers an example of just that. It has an incredibly young population, 12.5 million in total. It's technically the youngest state in the world, but currently a majority of its population are at risk of, of starvation. It needs international assistance. It needs international help. Since its foundation, it has failed to get off the ground, really. 
as a country. And I think the prospects, the future prospects there remain bleak unless urgent intervention is is provided. Do you find it amazing that there's very little talk of starvation next to nothing next to nothing in the media you know and and I'm not blaming the media you know and politicians are occupied by their own issues but again this is a you know a familiar tale in Africa I think people have almost been immunized to these stories at this point but I think it's just important much like the war in Ukraine that we keep a focus on them all right, Thomas, really good to see you as always. And happy Christmas to you. And many happy returns to you, Frank. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, just some breaking news for you. Uh, Electric Ireland is to give all customers a credit to the state-owned Electric Ireland. Um, is to forego profit from its residential electricity business in the coming year and give customers a credit payment. It amounts to some rare good news indeed for hard-pressed uh, householders who have been hit with a succession of double-digit price rises this year. And Electric Ireland said a €50 euro credit will be applied to each existing residential electricity customer. It's not exactly uh, clear at this point when the credit will be given, but it is expected to be very soon. So there's some good news. Don't August Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Paul. Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800 007. We have a great prize for you this week. At the end of the week, we're giving away €500 Euro in association with the good friends at Hall Alarms because they're celebrating 40 years in business. We're taking you back to the year 1982 for a competition and uh, every day we will play the theme from a well-known TV show from that year. And this is the theme for today. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all. Now, if you can identify the TV show, we need you to send your answer, followed by your details, your name, and your address, to WhatsApp 083 311 We'll choose a finalist before the end of the program. And then on Friday, we will give away that 500 euro. So it's a lovely prize. Now, we know the great work done by organizations right across the county who do all they can to help people at this time of year and demands of those services are greater than ever. Well, we're delighted to be joined in the studio by a great friend of the show, Joe Lee, and Joe, of course, from Seesaw. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Fran. Lovely to see you today. Seesaw, of course, community suicide awareness, and that's what you do. You will be active uh, in this week on run-up to Christmas, Joe. Yeah, we will indeed. Um, Fran, we're open as as usual, all our, our outlets in Clamell and in Tipperary Town. We're open this morning from half ten to half twelve. And in Clamell then we're open on Wednesday morning again from half ten to half twelve. That's our coffee mornings. And again, I suppose um, our listening service then, Fran, is open just in Clamell on uh, every Monday and every Thursday evening from half six to half seven. Very good indeed. Now, it's a difficult time of the year for people. Do you find that every year, Joe, that it can be particularly difficult and challenging? It can be, and I suppose, you know, um, to me, like Christmas, it can be a very happy time for a lot of people. 
But there's also then the flip side of that, and it can be a very lonely time then for others. Mm. You know, I think people, you know, people who have lost loved ones, people who have lost touch with other family members. You know, we don't often talk about this, but you know, the old Irish we're great for falling out, and then we'll, it'll have to be a tragedy before we fall back yeah. in again. Yeah. And relatives, you know, that um, who can't call to see their own folks for one reason or another. A lot of problems out there in life with different different issues in life, and this can then lead to loneliness, and in turn, then I suppose it leads to overthinking and leads to isolation. You know, and people then they go into this cocoon of their own and they don't stir out at all. And I think you know, CSR there we're non-judgmental. Everything we do is totally confidential, and everything we do is free. Mm. So just please call in. Call into the coffee morning. The door is open at all stages, and just please call in. You know. Yeah, of course there will be a lot of revelers out there as well and drink and all sorts of stuff going on and and that can sort of add to the issues w- would you imagine Joe do you, do you well I've, I suppose <laughs> I wouldn't be too shy to be saying you know been there done that mm. you know certainly can you know and it's the morning after the night before and why did I do this or even worse again what did I say to somebody or did mm. I insult yeah. half the parish or what did I do or what didn't I do and you know and I can and I suppose you know the hangover, you know, the hangover can be a bit of a bugger of a thing, you know. Um, besides that, I suppose, the mental effect, and there'll be people out saying they're, you know, avoid it, don't drink and all that, but you were not all mm. that clever, mm. you know. So it happens, it happens. But I think it leads to, can lead into depression and mm. then you head off again and one once more. Especially and if you're prone to that, I suppose. Especially if you're prone to yeah. that. Yeah. And especially, you know, if if there's one function after another and you have to go to this and you have to go to that, mm. you know, and then all of a sudden something can happen, a bit of an accident or you get caught and lose, you know, you're in court, you lose the licence. All of a sudden, the, the whole bubble starts off and it's yeah. like the, the snowball becomes a snowman in jig time, you know, and then how do I get out of all this? Yeah. The, the, the cost of living and all that, have you seen that affect people greatly, Joe? Oh, yeah, it, it certainly has. I think what has really happened about it, Fran, is it's, um, it's the worry about it. Yeah. You know, it's the worry about, like, if you look at life, you know, every month now there's a bill of some sort. Mm. If it's not the car insurance, it's the house insurance. Not the house insurance, it's the electricity. If not the electricity, mm. it's the phone. If it's not the phone, it's the VHI, if you're lucky enough to have it or something else. But there's always a bill. On top of the normal groceries, on top of the normal everyday uh, thing, you know, like, not to mention the cost of sending uh, children to school, never mind college, you know, never mind renting houses. It's phenomenal, the cost of living, you know, and the way it has. And it has kind of, it was sneaking up on us for a while, mm. but it has really, the bubble has burst like in recent times and it is very, very difficult for an awful lot of people out there. You often said to me in this studio that drugs are the big course. Um, you, you still go along with that, obviously. Oh, very much so. Very much so, Fran. I think I also think as well, you see, like young people are young people, and I wouldn't be shy or ashamed to say this either. If I was 17 or 18, would I say I wouldn't do drugs? How It's practically impossible not to, because everybody out there is at him. Yeah. So don't say to me like that you wouldn't try. I don't mind, you know, Try. don't get hooked on the bloody things that I can. To me, like, you know, the best way not to get hooked is don't go near him, don't touch him. Get enough friends, say stop, stop, stop. Like, I know of people, like, you know, and there's event after event, there's drugs, 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 drugs. It is crazy. And the system that they have of dealing with drugs, of drug dealing, it's, you know, I'll give them to you, friend, for free first. Mm. But now you always owe me. 
Right, so I bought in. So you're bought in. Yeah. And now you can't buy out because I always have one over you mm. at all stages. And you'll always owe me money then from then on or you'll always owe me a favour from then on. And you can see, you see like these things like in, in Gangland, Dublin, like uh, that's... Uh, uh, there's no problem in saying it because the public all know about it. But all of a sudden then you become dangerous. Mm. And now you either know too many of my friends and you're shot dead, taken out, or because the lack of trust is gone or whatever the story is, or because this other bloody thing called paranoia sets in and there's somebody talking about somebody somewhere. And is it you? Is it me? And all of a sudden your life is gone and lost and that life then costs another two or three lives. And people get into that very, very easily. You'll see the guards, like, you know, they go going out there, you know, and they'll raid a house and they'll raid a place and the next thing they seize the phone or they seize, they get they get the famous list mm. from beside the phone and the list is written down in it's JL or FC. Should the guards know well that there's Joe Leahy and there's Frank Curry, that that's it. And they know the list. And all of a sudden then the whole thing comes crumbling down. People have lost their jobs because of it. People have lost their livelihoods. People have lost relationships, marriages, family. And all because of drugs. Oh my God! It's it's it, but it's lethal. And my attitude is: don't go there in the first place. Do not touch them. And if you're after taking one or two, talk to your parents. They'll understand. Talk to your aunt. Talk to your uncle. Talk to your coach. Talk to somebody. Come in to see. So talk to us. Talk to somebody in confidence. But tell them and get off the bloody things. You, for, obviously, you you have to pay for what it is you do, uh, Joe. So there is a fundraiser the, this coming. What, what night? Well, Tuesday, Tuesday this, uh, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Believe it yes. or not, how, how time goes. Yeah. Tomorrow night in Eldon's, um, Fran in Clamel, um, we have the Pearly White, Salem McCormack, and also an extended group of musician friends that they have. They could be up to thirty of them in total, I'm told, and um, they have a fundraiser for us. It's free entry, and they just do a raffle inside then for us inside on the night. And thanks to everybody everybody who's donated spot prizes to us, including our good friend um, Billy Fitzgerald, who has come on board, our great musician, has given us something so fair play to Billy, and and everybody else then, and Eldon's as well, for hosting it. And it's only that kind of money, friend, that keeps us going, because we don't get any funding from anybody, because normally if you get the funding from some of these bigger organisations, you have to go into all their paraphernalia and their opening hours and all that and we want to be independent of that so we trust on donations for keeping our, our doors open. Very good indeed. So just remind us of the opening hours, the opening times again, Joe. The opening times again, Fran, are in Tip Town and in Clamel on every Monday and that includes all bank holidays over Christmas and everything, Fran, from um, half ten to half twelve and in Clamel then on the Wednesday morning as well on, from half ten to half twelve and our listing service then, Fran, in Clamel every Monday and Thursday Thursday evening from half six to half seven. And everybody is welcome and is totally confidential. All right. Well, congratulations on all the great work anyway, Joe, and great to see you. And thanks for coming in. And just Christmas before, team. just briefly, Fran, before they'll give out to me, I really, again, want to thank all the volunteers because without our volunteers, we wouldn't be able to do any of this. They are that they are the whole show. I'm just the mouthpiece. They are the show. All right, Joe. Thanks very much indeed. Happy Christmas to you and all the volunteers as well. Thank you. We'll take a break. We're back with more. It's uh, coming up at 13 past 11. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage.ie 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, earlier on in the programme, we spoke to the political editor of the Irish Times, Pat Leahy, regarding the Cabinet reshuffle. Now, Willie was in touch with us and he joins me now. Willie, good morning to you. Hey, Fran, how are you going on? I'm very well indeed. What do you make of it, uh, this reshuffle? Leo is uh, Taoiseach once again. Well, that's the biggest problem I'd have now, Fran. Leo being Taoiseach once again. Uh, I mean, what was shown there on this video, what, two weeks ago now, I'm just I'm just amazed, and I just wonder is it is it, do people just are people just not bothered anymore? Do, 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 is like is there anything considered not wrong anymore in this country? Uh, uh, this is the video of Leo in the nightclub, and he was kissing a, a lad. Yeah, yeah, mm. amazing way people are able to say that. No, but anyways, yeah, he was, and he was, and the other player. I actually, my young one sent it on to me. Uh, I was eating my breakfast, and be Jesus, I thought it was a pure. But anyway, the porridge ended up on the floor. Anyway, I thought it was one of these mess up things, you know, because his head didn't look right. I thought it was his head, someone as after imaging a head onto this fella, mm. and it was all a, a big uh, pee take, if you like, you know. But. Uh, Obviously, it wasn't, and in uh, the fact being that you know it is his personal life, and by Jesus, friend, is there anything considered uh, wrong anymore in this country? Well, that's what he claimed that this was his private life, and that his privacy was invaded in in, in the club, Willie. His private life and his private, and this is the kind of affair that we have now running the country. Has he got a what you call a partner or a husband? Or I've been feeling saying that now it's so weird, but look at. It. I'm the old stop, right? But has he not got a got a partner at home that he's meant to be living with? Well, we don't know the the exact details of that that relationship, I suppose. But but can I say what what exactly are you offended by? Is it the fact of the political position that he has and that that yeah. maybe you know lack of judgment or whatever? Is that is that what it's it a, is? This fellow kind of does whatever he wants to do. Mm. This fellow does whatever he wants to do. Same with the leaking of the information to his other boyfriend. This uh, well, he, he, to, to, we, the, there was no relation. He was his friend. Yeah, he was his friend. Well, I say by the way he's carrying. I on, know. So I know. Not. We do. We don't know that. Uh, we don't know. But, but, look, but look at this fellow. Just seems to, to do what he wants. Mm. Like, is there any, like, I just like if that's his moral compass, right? Mm. And this fellow is in charge of uh, running our country. My God. But, I mean, my uh, God, it's like the lunatics are running the asylum here in this country now, Fran. Right, but do you, know? do you have a problem with him being gay, Willie? Well, look it, at it, it, uh, Like, I mean, some of what you're saying to me, I'm just wondering, it could be maybe seen as being homophobic always, in some way. Oh, look at I wouldn't be the... Look at there's always, there's always been gays, you know? There seems to be an awful lot more of them now, Fran. I mean, uh, every time I'm listening to you on Tip FM, it's LGBTQ2, something or other. Like, it's like I'm going back to school. I have to learn the alphabet now. What does all that mean, Fran? What's the LGBTQ? Do you even know what, what it means? You're okay, well, it's, it out there a good bit. Well, it's <laughs> lesbian, gay, and it goes on and it mentions yeah, other. I heard yeah. Of yeah. Mm. No, no, continue up. I don't understand the rest of them. Lesbian, gay, I've heard it in before. Bi- bisexual, no, you, you put me on the spot. Lesbian, oh, gay, I'm... LGBTQ... Uh, qu- queer, queer. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You can't say that, sure. You can't say that because, you see, gay people have sort of embraced that again uh, oh, right. back into so their vocabulary. That, so that's that. that's okay to say now by all, by yeah, all accounts. Moderate. What's the rest of it? What's so lesbian, issue? gay, bisexual, queer, transgender. Um, yeah. So is that, is that enough for you, Willie? Well, 
Well, wouldn't that wouldn't that drive you to something now, Fran? Uh, transgender and all the rest of it. Well, like, these are people who are out there. These are people. These are people living in our communities, and they're yeah, among us, yeah, and yeah, they're yeah, our yeah, relatives, know, yeah. and all of this. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Hmm. My God, Fran, isn't the country gone something gone something unreal? Uh, when you have when you have all these class of people and everyone's meant to bow down to them now because they're different and and, and we need we need to include, be more inclusive and all the rest of it. Like I tell you, what's wrong in my opinion, Frank? Mm. There's no one speaking up and saying, "Jesus, like this is wrong." There's something really wrong in the core at the core of this now. But, but, but we've got what, to tell what's wrong with country. people? What's wrong, Willie, with people deciding who they are? in themselves and, and getting about their lives and doing that. I'm well, sure, you know. I, I'm throwing it around in front of everyone, like, you know what I mean, parading up and down the street and fellas in their 50s wearing skirts. And you, Do you think that's natural, Fran? Do you think that's normal? Do you think that's good for... Well, you see, young, no, young normal, is, normal is a strange way. Like, you know, what's normal to you might be normal to me or to, you know... Jesus, Fran, I don't know. Uh, look, obviously there's nothing normal anymore. Mm. There's nothing natural anymore. You'll have, you'll have people, they could go down, like I don't want to curse, so I, I might mm. just spell the things. You could go, you'll have people going down, could go down the street, B-O-L-L-O-K, naked, with a pink monkey on top of their head, mm. and they're allowed to do it. You've got, the, you've got people now that they don't want to be called him or her, they want to identify something else, like, but if that's their choice, it's like what's, what's that's wrong their with that? choice, but they're they're important on the rest of us. You well, see the lad. I know. I know they're controversial they're not, family. They're, they're not trying they're, to make you. Like, oh, hold on now. They want or, rules change, Fran. They to, want rules change that they can be that that they can be identified. If you're like, I don't give a shot at SH1T because I'm not going to be dealing with these people. But if I was working in the public service, I have to. If I'm a guard, I have to. Mm. If I'm a nurse, I have to. And obviously, if I'm a teacher, I have to. Well, where is it going to stop? And sure, Willie, it's the cliched question, but I mean, if a member of your family came to you and said, look, look, Dad, I, I'm trans, or look, Dad, I'm gay, or whatever, I mean... <laughs> yeah, well, I can guarantee you once in, but never happened. And mm. it hasn't happened, and uh, there's no fear of them. Look at Frank. It's, I see it here in the fair. But you see, right? you can never guarantee something uh, like that. You? you know what? A lot of it is environment, Fran. A lot of it is environment, and a lot of it is what they're taking. A lot of it is what they're taking. I guarantee you. I know, I know lads that went out to England, they done, they done, they done the drugs and all the rest of it. They came back and they thought they were women. Dressing up, like, dressing up in little belly tops, the whole lot. Gone off the head. They went out a and lot. did drugs and came back and thought they were women. Yes, Fran, I could, I, could, I could show them to you. I could show them to you. Stay, stay with me for just a moment, because Sophie is joining us. Sophie, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? You're listening to Willie there. Um, what, what, what about the nightclub incident? Uh, how, how do you feel Dad, about that? I'll what I'm reading about now. I, I'm reading about our two Tipperary TV have backed um, uh, Leave Radker to be our new Taoiseach. Mm. Now, I, I I didn't believe it at first but when, when somebody showed me the nightclub incident. It has never been picked up by anybody. Mm. He was entitled to be there. It, it, was, a, it was a public place. Mm. And um, if he wants to be out, if he wants to be in a private place, it's different in a different capacity. But he was open for to be photographed, and it actually happened. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is, he's in a commission relationship. How do we give example to our children and grandchildren that is all right if you're in a relationship, go out and have the bit of crack with whoever you like, but, and but, to have it all over the internet? But he, he said he said his privacy. Now. He said his privacy was being. 
uh, no, eroded in some way, and that's, no, you know... Brendan, so he can do it in private. Who am I talking to, myself? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Willie is on the other line sorry as well. Sorry for imposing. Sorry for imposing. Good <laughs> just one sec, Willie. I'll come back to you in just one sec. Um, what? So, so what about that? Are you saying that he should keep his private life private, completely private? He was out in a nightclub. Mm. And he's in a committed relationship. Mm. He's leader of our country now because of two temporary TDs. Mm. How can we give example to our children and our grandchildren if it's all right for 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 the leader of our country who's in a committed relationship? Now it's nothing to do with his sexual orientation. Mm. If it was a heterosexual, I would do. I would say the same thing. And also, what I can't understand is years the ago silence. He a TD. It's, what all I'm talking about is the silence of the media. It has never been mentioned by RTE. It is on nothing. Right. So, well, it, well, it was we we had it on our panel last uh, last week. But I suppose a lot of the media had to make sure that the video in question wasn't some sort of a making up thing. It was authentic. I'll tell you, if that was if that was Mary Lou Macdonald snogging yeah. somebody. Yeah, no, you're talking a married they woman were, or a married or man. Yeah. Or if yeah. anybody else, I'm not narrow-minded, but I do think that there's not there's a, you know there's a law for him, a law for yeah. right. any other. W- Willie, do you think if it was if it was somebody else in a oh, heterosexual situation, married, would it be different? Yeah, even if it's heterosexual, if it's a married woman, married man, there would be uproar, mm. uproar. But because yeah, the gay right. community, oh no, there's nothing wrong anymore, friend. I told you, there's nothing wrong anymore. Mm. You can do anything you want in this country. Mm. You can do anything yeah. you want in this country, and you get away with it. And if you say it or speak up. Or say, what the if go, is going on here? Uh, oh, sh- close down straight away. You're homophobic yeah. or you're yeah. this or you're that or the other. Can't but you know what? Most, most people have the same opinion, friend. They just don't say it. But you know what? People actually need to wake up. Well, all right. Stay, stay with me, both both of you, for just a sec because Martin joins us. Martin, good morning to you. Morning, friend. And good, good to talk to you today. You have a bit of an issue with Willie, do you? He commented there, you asked him a question where any, if any of his children uh, ended up to be either homosexual or lesbian or whatever, uh, how would he feel about it? Mm. And didn't seem to be too impressed about it. So he said, oh, they're all, I, I, I might be mispronouncing that. I think he said they're all perfect. There's no, there's no issues there. I mm. might be wrong. No, but my brother... Is, can't say that one just, just one sec, just one voice. Go on, Martin, yeah. Most one of his children... Uh, uh, ends up with children and one of them turns out to be either lesbian or gay is he going to reject the grandchild? Now, Willie, do you want to do you want to take that? I say, Fran, a lot of it is environmental in my mind, right? And the way they're brought up, you have children be brought up now, they don't know whether they're going to put a skirt on them or a trousers. Gender neutral, all this kind of B-O-L-L. It, it, the things have to change, uh, Fran. Mm. People will have to realise and, and you know what, if I'm so wrong, Fran, in my opinion, mm. if I'm so wrong, why is there so much suicide? Why is there so much children uh, needing um, psychological help? Why is there a backlog of kids needing to go to psychologists, psychiatrists, because they don't know what they are? Martin, do you, do you want to respond to that, Martin? Uh, I really don't just, just one voice. There's yes, Martin. I, I really don't know how to respond to, to that, really, because... in. See, that's what's problem, part of the problem with this country and every other country. Nobody is allowed to have any opinions or any of their own uh, orientation, sexual orientation or whatever without somebody criticising them. 
everybody, everybody is different. You don't know when your child is born or when your grandchild is born or whenever anybody is born what they're going to turn out like. And at the end of the day, you have to love them regardless because they're your own children or they're your grandchildren. Mm. You cannot just put them into a box. You can't do this. Well, you can't. Yeah, do that. Willie, yeah. let's let's broaden that out a bit. Like like hypothetical now, if you were approached by a child who said, "Look." Dad, or look, Uncle Willie, or whatever. I'm gay, and what? Could you could you still embrace them? Would you would you, you know, how would you deal with that? Well, sure, I'd have to deal with Frank. We, 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 we know you every day of the week. You're 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 presented with situations. Right, but would deal you deal with. with it with love and kindness? And... Well, sure, I'd have to. I'd have to. But I know what it is, Frank. I come back to the same point. A lot of it is environmental. I mean, you got. What you do you got mean here, when you say that? By the way. Well, very simple, man. You mean if you have a ch- if you if you're dressing your four year old, five year old boy in a skirt, well, Jesus, you're you're putting him down the wrong path, aren't you? Right, aren't but, you? But I mean, sure. How how does that happen? You know. Well, that does happen. You see all these flipping clowns that they're having these gender neutral things and and all the rest of it, and they they, they haven't decided whether they're, they're going to uh, dress, um, bring him up as a boy or a girl and. Oh, I just kind of sure. There's no. I told you, friend. There's nothing considered wrong anymore. Right. So, and, and you object to that. So, Sophie, what, what what about this? Do you want to get in on this? No, I tell you, I just rang about the leader of our country. Be he gay or not, and it's not a gay issue with me at all. Mm. It's just um, he's heterosexual. I just think the wrong message was given out that you can do what you like. And look, at we have to accept everybody for what they are, who they are, to love everybody, and help people. Who, who, you know, who find life a and, and do you think, was that a resigning issue as far as you're concerned when that video I broke? Not for Leo, no, no, not Lou for Leo. did it. I'd say she'd be on the end of a gun. She'd be shot out of the face. I mean, she'd be shot like, out of the wall. She's telling like, give away else. private information, private document information that was between the government and the medical board. Yeah. And he gave it to that his friends. And this guy, and he gets away with it. Jesus, he gets away with it. Now, I see if, he gay, if he wasn't gay, he'd be gone. Ah, uh, we, 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 we don't know. Uh, Mar- Martin, Martin, a final word for us uh, on this. Oh, uh, look, uh, it's, it's going to end. This country should know what it's like to have people uh, fighting and arguing against each other. It's happened in religion all, all our life in this country. And now we're turning it into something else. Can we not just leave people alone and get on with their life? And if, whatever their decision is, abide by it because they'll have to know whatever decision you make. I tell you what we're going to have, Martin. We're going to have a great society in 20, 30, 40 years' time for what's coming along. There's bigger hey, issues in the world, Martin. There's bigger yeah, issues in the world than in this country. All right, guys, there, there we must leave it. And thanks. All right, there, there we must leave it. Thanks to Willie and uh, to Martin and to Sophie as well. And a happy Christmas to you all. Thank you for that. 1800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Joe says, that man is peeing me off. My cousin R.I.P. was gay and she never took drugs. Uh, He should stop uh, putting everybody in the same category. Another listener says, Ireland is going to hell in a handcart. 
And it goes on to uh, quote uh, some of the Bible for me as well. Thank you for that. Uh, I think that man is explaining it wrong. I'm fully open to gay and lesbian. You were born that way, but it is gone too far. He's just explaining it wrong. Our kids are getting this rammed down their throats literally in school. I have kids in school. I know this is a fact. It needs to back off a small bit. Completely confusing our children. Uh, but I do believe that Leo's nightclub incident was his own business. Somebody else saying that gentleman was, should go off and live his own life and not worry about anybody else's. Um, happy Christmas, it says. Well done to you, friend. Thank, thank you very much indeed for that. You never hear in the Bible that two men and two women got married and then they have a child. Uh, with that child wondering where is the mummy or daddy, or they would be tormented at school, says Marion, who's in uh, Boris again today. Why must everything be defined by sexuality, Fran? I don't care what sex you are. I don't need to know. But please don't try and shut me up because of my opinion. That's uh, different to you. Each to their own, says B. And uh, lots, lots more coming in on that uh, conversation there with Willie and Sophie and with uh, Martin as well. Now, this month of December, it can wreak havoc, I'm told, on your skin. From sleepless nights to overindulgence in food and alcohol, by January, your skin will buckle under the stress it's under. Well, Laura Maloney is owner and uh, senior therapist at Laurel uh, Beauty Salon in Clonmel. And she joins me now. Laura, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you keeping? I'm very well indeed. Would you go along with that, that December can be tough on the old skin? Absolutely, and it's exactly what you said there. It's, you know, it's sometimes what we're putting into our bodies reflects back on our skin. Um, and, you know, people say to me, oh, you know, it's, it's the weather. It's, you know, like that, the late nights. And it's like, no, no, go roll back there now. How many nights out did you have? You know, how many boxes of chocolates have you eaten? Um, how, many night, how many meals did you have out? And all that reflects then on our skin, unfortunately, in the weeks afterwards. And how does it manifest itself on the skin? What do we see, Laura? Well, like alcohol would, if you if you are an alcoholic drinker, but if if um, like if you had if, even a few glasses of wine, it doesn't have to be copious amounts of alcohol. You know, you're you're dehydrated the next day because that's naturally what alcohol does to your system. So think about it, if you are thirsty and if you are like going to the toilet a little bit more, then naturally your skin is going to get dehydrated. So that's the first thing, um, and then also overindulgence from a food perspective, um, and it's not necessarily sugar in the sense of oh, I ate like you know fifteen rows last night it's it's sugar hidden sugar so like if we eat a lot of carbs obviously then when that when carbs convert in our system it, it, it does convert into a sugar and then that's called glycation then on the skin and that can also cause it can cause drying on the skin like that kind of like like more dehydration that tightness on the skin but also that dead look that dull lackluster mm. look on the skin as well so people often say jesus i'm wrecked and it's not necessarily from tiredness it's it's what we're putting into ourselves you know in in the festivities yeah you speak about tiredness but i mean i believe that sleep is so so important so important yeah absolutely and it's at night time our skin gets a chance to well our body gets a chance to rest but also our skin gets a chance to to renew itself um so that's why this time of year during like festive period or even during that even that cold stretch that we had last year and a year it's another one is due to come in the next mm. week or so that if you use things like a treatment mask so something like a really an overnight treatment mask so something that's going to really hydrate the skin and work the skin while we sleep can really work hand in hand if you are getting um, a good night's sleep so if you are if you know you're going out you know on Thursday night say a lot of a lot of businesses will be closed and you're going out and you're having a few drinks and a nice meal or whatever just make sure that you're getting an early night 
night. And if skin is important to you and you don't want to look, you know, bright-eyed and fresh and not like, you know, like like you like you have been out on Thursday night on Christmas Eve, um, on, on the Friday, do, I suppose really look be mindful about yes. your skin and, and really look after it like double cleanse your face use your your serums to really hydrate and, and your perk your skin back and like i said pop on a treatment mask that you can use overnight and go to bed early bed, like sleep is just i mean like you can't you can't buy it literally you know yes sure it's no wonder the way i am then uh, <laughs> taking that into account the the uva levels i know it's winter time but have we still to keep that in mind absolutely spf should be wearing worn every single day um, 365 days a year Um, and it doesn't matter if it is like the middle of November and the sky is on the ground and it's absolutely bucketing down with rain or if you're in Mauritius and it's 34 degrees in July the sun is the sun and you're right by saying that UVA rays um, sorry UVB UVB rays aren't as high at the moment so we can't burn necessarily from the Mm. sun that we've been exposed to but UVA is still at its peak so UVA is all always penetrating through the atmosphere so that this is the one that's always affecting our skin so UVA is for aging UVB is for burning um, so regardless of the time of year UVB is or UVA is always there and it's always causing damage to our skin so it doesn't matter um, you know like and I would always be very very mindful of people that go out running and you know especially that are, are outdoors a lot um, during regardless of the time of year and they're like actually oh, you no know, it's winter time now you know it's grand it's it's absolutely not like your skin is still going to get that sun damage so that aging damage is still going to happen to the skin it's interesting i think it's only in recent years that we're aware of that Laura. 100 percent. yeah absolutely and even the fact you know we really try to hone across to our clients that like it's not just the sun while the sun does the damage to the skin but blu-ray light so light that comes from our like we're just constantly around blu-ray light now there's mm. no way of really avoiding it so you think about your your tvs at home like they're like we have all smart tvs at home now we don't have any like normal telly anymore um tablets we use tablets even in work during our skin consultations sure. and, and everything our phones our computer screens so while that cannot cause the the aging damage to the skin it can exasperate it so it can make the skin drier it can cause inflammation on the skin and it can also pull out any pigmentation so the sun has already caused the pigmentation damage so that's like skin discoloration on 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 the skin but then what the what the blu-ray light does is it exasperates and it makes it worse so when you are looking at an spf make sure that it covers both that it covers blu-ray light and it's also uv it's interesting and sugar is is sugar the big no-no as well is it? yeah like i yeah. said it can cause glycation so basically what yeah. that that is just to break it down to be as simple as possible is that when the skin cells actually um the sugar attacks the skin cells so that they actually change shape so then like i said the skin looks like dull and lackluster and it can actually cause more, not wrinkles necessarily, because wrinkles are from expression, but more fine lines on the skin. So you can actually see where the skin cells have broken. So a lot of times clients would come into us and they'd say, my skin's really dry. And I'm like, you're not. It's actually just your barrier has been damaged. So the skin's barrier, that outer layer has been damaged like that by glycation on the skin through sugar, alcohol, etc. Um, and then obviously then it gets very dehydrated. So the skin just needs a good third, good glass of water as opposed to 
issue. A lot of people put a lot of heavy lipids on the skin. Um, and while they feel fantastic initially, it's kind of more of a placebo, you know. So you're not getting the longevity. You need something that's going to drink into your skin. So look at something that has a lighter weight molecule that will actually go down into the, the layers of the skin as opposed to sitting on the surface layer. I presume you are run off your feet yourself and your team this week, yes. are you? Yeah, look, thank God we are, yeah. you know, like, because, you know, business is ever-changing during these times. So, yeah, look, the, the last two, three weeks have been, like, since the month of December really has kicked off for us. Um, unfortunately, COVID is kind of peaking its head up a little yeah. bit. There's a few yeah. cancellations and things like that. But, look, um, so far, so good. And if we get cancellations, we're filling them up. But this time of year for any service, um, if you're not busy this time of year, you know, you're worried. You Absol- know, I put it like that. Well, yeah. we're, we're delighted for you. You deserve all the success, Laura, and we wish you Absolutely. well. And a happy Christmas to you yeah, and your team Yeah, happy Christmas there. to you too. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. Thank That's you. Laura Maloney there of Laurel uh, Beauty Salon in Clonmel. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is away. 3-311-3311. Let's talk sport and let's go back to Nina, to our sports editor, Paul Carroll. Paul, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? Good to talk to you today. GAA, first of all, I suppose the under-21 was the main focus in the county uh, at the weekend. Yeah, locally, Fran, yeah, the under-21 was the main focus in tip this weekend. Uh, Third of Sarsfields were crowned the under-21A hurling champions. They bet drum an inch 2.15 to 14 points. Uh, the north of the county, Bursley, defeated Kiladangan in the under-21A final. That was 120 to 2.15 after extra time in Temple Derry. Uh, then in the south, the south under-21A football final, Clamel Commercials 5-13, Mullinahone 6 points. So another county title for the commercials. And in the under-21B south football final, it was Knockmeal down Gales 1-11, Ballangarry 5 points. Now the Dylan Quirk Foundation, that was launched over the weekend. Yeah, so the, the family of Dylan Quirk set up a foundation in his honour over the weekend um, with the aim to raise funds so heart screening can be done on all GA players from the age of 12 upwards. So uh, it's a really great initiative and I suppose it will make sure sure his uh his legacy is continued for for years to come and um there was a great article in the Irish Independent uh, talking to the family of Dylan so his mother Hazel father Dan and his sister Shannon um it was really heartbreaking stuff but I, I suppose the work they're doing with foundation is is really to be admired and to donate people can head to the Dylan Quirk Foundation GoFundMe page and there will also be a fundraiser held uh, when Tip play Kilkenny in the National Hurling League that's in uh, in February of next year so um really good initiative there and uh, hopefully it does well the Monster GAA Awards, Paul, and uh, some uh, temporary success there. Yeah, this was in uh, Hotel Manella in Clonmel on Saturday. So uh, Tom Delaney was named the Minor Hurler of the Year. He was a big part of Tipperary's Minor Hurling success, success this year. And uh, he scored one twelve from play. Uh, against Watford in the Munster semi-final so that will be a, a performance that will be remembered um, Elsewhere Tim Floyd was honoured with a Distinguished Service Award uh, for his service with Tipperary GA of course a uh, long-serving County Board Secretary um, Martin Spain was named Handball Person of the Year so he's out in the uh, Lahorna Handball Alley just a few minutes away here in Nina um, he's done great work there with Lahorna and they're currently building a new 40 by 20 um, uh, Handball um, Alley jeez I forgot the word there for a second but Handball Alley there <laughs> Um, so he's done great work there, has Martin Spain. And also, uh, Nicky English was inducted into the Munster GA Hall of Fame. So the uh, Latin Cullen Club man hurled 15 years for the Tipperary senior team, scored 20 goals, 117 points, and he won two All-Ireland medals whilst a player. He obviously managed the team in the 2001 final as well. Uh, five Munster medals, two National Hurling League medals, and six All-Stars. So um, he's uh, been inducted into the Munster GA Hall of Fame. Of course, he was put into the overall GA Hall of Fame a number of years back as well. 
well. So truly one of the greats is Nicky English. And finally in GA, friend, the Hearty Cup quarterfinals. Uh, the draws were made over the past week. So there's three Tipperary schools left, which is uh, good to see. Cashel Community School, we're going to play CBC Cork. Our Ladies Temple Moor are playing Ard School Reach of Limerick. And Thurla CBS are playing St. Comans of Formoy in their quarterfinal ties. And they will be played on, I think it's Wednesday, January the 11th. To Athletics. And that's a fascinating story about that Tipperary man in Antarctica. Yeah, I'm not sure if you mentioned it. Uh, we, we did, just at the top of the programme, Paul. Yeah, yeah. so Clonmel's uh, Sean Tobin, I suppose, if anyone uh, wasn't listening at that point, he was uh, running uh, just over 1,000 kilometres north of the South Pole, so in Antarctica. It was minus 14 degrees uh, when he broke the record for the fastest ever marathon on the continent of Antarctica. Um, he's rep- Sean has represented Ireland in middle distance running in the past few years. I think he's 28, um, and he was running his first ever marathon. So, like, where would you well. pick for your first ever marathon, <laughs> only the, the Antarctica? But uh, he ran the fastest marathon ever recorded on the continent. This was last Wednesday. He crossed the line in two hours, 53 minutes and 33 seconds. And it was just over a minute and 20 odd seconds, I think, faster than the, the previous record. So well, just uh, in, in minus 14 uh, conditions. Can, <laughs> yeah. you, can you just imagine? We're going to be talking about the programme during the week, Paul. So I'm looking forward oh, uh, to that. Yeah. To, to rugby? Uh, rugby, yeah, there was more cancellations in the IL. And I suppose when you're going from a lad running in minus 14 degrees and then <laughs> matches getting cancelled here because <laughs> yes. it's a bit cold. But, um, <laughs> Nina Ormond's, uh, it was rescheduled game against Navin. It was meant to be played the weekend before, um, this weekend just gone past, but it was cancelled, of course, frozen pitches and stuff. And then, um, I suppose Saturday, the roads were just kind of treacherous. So, um, it was, it was cancelled again. So that one uh, has been postponed once again, uh, Nina Ormond and Navin, but it has been refixed now for uh, Saturday, January the 7th at half past two and Nina um, I suppose elsewhere in rugby over the weekend Munster had a good win on the road in the Champions Cup uh, they beat Northampton Saints away 17 points to 6 with uh, Gavin Coombs scoring both tries for Munster and to, to horse racing the final card in uh, Thurles yesterday yeah, so the horse racing is finished up in Thurles for the year. It's going to be back in uh, in January. But uh, the last uh, race meeting in Thurles race course of the year took place yesterday. Uh, the track passed an early morning inspection and allowed the seven race car to take place. I suppose the big talking point, friend, from the uh, race meeting was three-time champion jockey Davy Russell. He announced his retirement in Thurles after he won the Mayor's Novice Hurdle on Liberty Dance. So uh, one of the great jockeys, Davy Russell, announced his retirement there. There was also a big win for a Tipperary trainer in Thurles yesterday. Yesterday. Uh, the horse is called Liz Rona, L-I-Z-R-O-N-A. Uh, that was the name of the 20-to-1 shot that won the Maloney Cup Handicap Chase. And uh, Liz Rona is trained by Kilsheelan-based Eric Larkin. So fair play to all involved there. And uh, the next race in Thurles, next race card in Thurles is on Sunday, January 22nd. So they have a, a bit of a break there before getting things back up in January. Before I let you go, Paul, will you look ahead for us? GAA, what uh, can we expect? Yeah, not an awful lot uh, happening, I suppose, friend, in, in the coming weeks. Yeah. But uh, GA, there's still some under-21 finals to be decided over the coming week. Um, fixtures yet to be confirmed in terms of times and venues and things like that, but that will be probably confirmed today. But uh, I, what I do know is North under-21B hurling final, that's going to be on St. Stephen's Day. That's uh, Burgess against Lura Rovers, so we're waiting for a venue and uh, time on that. But on Wednesday, the West under-21A football final takes place. That's Kappa White Gales and Arvale Rovers in New Inn at quarter to eight. And just finally, rugby, uh, what have we to look forward to? Yeah, of course, no local rugby uh, for another few weeks, but Munster are in action on St. Stephen's Day. They play Leinster in the URC. That's uh, next Monday. Um, St. Stephen's Day at 25 to 8 in Thoman Park and I suppose um, just in the next com- coming uh, days or next week or so here on Tip FM uh, we've our own sports review that's going to go out on St. Stephen's Day uh, from 11am to 12 
and then the Tipperary Sports Quiz. So that's on Tuesday, December the 27th, and that's 6pm to 7pm. So still some bits mm. to look forward to over, over the coming week or so. I was very disappointed, Paul, that I wasn't invited uh, as a See, panelist. Friend, I think that. it would just be too unfair if, well, you, if you were on it. You'd run away with it. Like, you know? <laughs> that's true. Paul, thanks very much indeed for that. Thank <laughs> you. Good, good morning to you. That's Paul Carroll, our sports editor, from our Nina desk uh, this morning. Now, John Broderick is the author of The Friendship Diary, which is a poetry book and a 2023 diary. Johnny is also the communications officer of the organisation Safe Home Ireland, who are the beneficiaries of the funds raised from the project. I'm delighted to say he joins me now. Johnny, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and thank you very much for having me on. You're very welcome indeed. Will you first of all just remind us about the great work that Safe Home Ireland does, Johnny? Well, Safe Home was uh, started in the beginning of the century in in the year 2000 and uh, was to celebrate 21 years of its work last year, but we had to postpone that due to COVID until this year. So on the 1st of December this year, we celebrated uh, bringing home uh, 2,237 people from all over the world and repatriate them in uh, Ireland. Now, some of them only looked for support. Some of them were directly helped. Uh, but they, what they do as an organisation is provide that support for people who want to come home but want to make an informed decision about it. And the staff do that very, very well. And, they, and in a lot of cases, this is their dream, is it not, Johnny? Oh, of course. Like, I suppose there isn't an Irish person who has left Ireland, uh, whether it should be Shannon or Dunleary or Dublin Airport, that isn't wanting to come back. Um, I've been lucky to be in America and Boston. Like, you go into Boston and you go downtown to uh, South Boston, like, it's it's full of Donegal and, and, and Connemara and all talking about the same thing. The conversation is, are you going home this year? Are you going home for Christmas? Are you going home for the All-Ireland? It's, it's all about home. You, we hardly ever hear them talking about what they have or what they do, except um, home, home, home. And when they hear the new Irish accent giant their mix, uh, they're drawn to you. You know, that yourself is just an amazing thing. And that's just the one thing they want. So, and of course, many of them then, Johnny, not in a position to come home. And I suppose that's where Safe Home Ireland comes in to its own. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, some just want information to be truthful, and, and we have a load of just phone contacts. But there's the genuine cases of people who are struggling with the decision, not just the, the wherewithal, but the decision to say, is this right for me? Uh, they, you know, there's a whole rake of things that hits the news, and there's no houses, and there's the health system is dreadful. You know, they, it, things like that can push the offer. And push the desire is like to leave the high rises in in New York, Boston, London, and um, Australia, wherever to be able to sit in the and uh, look out at the green Tipperary, Parkland, or, or, or Mayo, you know, wherever wherever it takes. It. Absolutely, wherever home is, the real home, I suppose. So this project, then Friday Friendship, the twenty twenty three diary. How did this come about, Johnny? Well, this came about because uh, our CEO, uh, Karen McHugh, asked to start writing uh, Friday blogs or, or something to, I suppose, just to connect with people, uh, especially about kindness and about 
um, sharing friendship and, and valuing, valuing friendship, especially during COVID. And just started off with writing something for Friday and then they grew and then they, uh, somebody said to me, uh, why don't you put them in a book? And we said, well, poetry books don't sell really, but uh, what we did was we uh, got each page sponsored and we printed a thousand copies and I'm glad to say that I think we've only about 200 left now. So if there's any listeners in Tipperary who know me or heard to stay at home or indeed have heard of Sean Kane because as you know I'm also Sean's manager mm-hmm. and I've been writing songs for Sean for people for years as well so um, this is a, an opportunity to support our fellow Irish people in the diaspora and, and create that fund to help them bring, bring them home. And it's a, a very beautiful book as well. It looks gorgeous and it will be a lovely gift, in fact, for anybody. So how can you go about uh, purchasing, Johnny? Yeah, you can just purchase it on, go to safehomeireland.com and just go to the donate button there and your, the book will pop up and uh, there's, uh, it, it just means that it puts the thoughts of the Irish diaspora uh, on your desk for the year. The president uh, very kindly allowed us to use the, the pilly lamp on the window of the Aris, the front cover. And um, that has got uh, great attention, you know, because uh, I met Mary Robinson by accident the other day when I was in Dublin. And she uh, was the one who started the candle at the window and uh, very conscious of the Irish diaspora yes. and very conscious that the window, that the light in the window signals them home and that that is they are always welcome to come home. Well, it, it, it's so symbolic, isn't it? We're yes. just, we just uh, almost out of time, but we have time if you'd like to, to recite a piece from, from the book for us, Johnny, would you? I will. I'll do one. Uh, there, there are poems and there's lines of inspiration and things like that. Mm. Uh, but this one is called Honesty of Effort. And this was written to, I suppose, to remember that the people around you, they all have their own skills, their own talents, and their own pace. And sometimes we get frustrated when people can't keep up. But the, it's the effort that they put into getting there is what we have to value. So it's called Honesty of Effort. We all have different talents. We all have our own pace. It's accepting that of others in a diverse human race. The tart guys, he will get there, even if we are all at the post. But it's the honesty of effort that we must admire most. Thank you. It's a lovely piece, Johnny, and it's a lovely, lovely book, and your work in it is absolutely fantastic. Lovely to talk to you, uh, Johnny, and uh, congratulations to you on the book. It's called Friday Friendship 2023 Diary, and it's available if you want to go to the Safe Home Ireland uh, website. Uh, you can purchase it there. Look after you. Happy Christmas to you, and pass on my good too. wishes to Sean as well. Thanks, Johnny. Very much, friend. Thanks, Good. Uh, that's uh, Johnny Broderick speaking to us uh, there. Now, our finalist today in that €500 Euro giveaway in association with a good friends at Hall Alarms is Tom Moore.
from Rose Green in Cashel. Well done to you, Tom. You're into the big draw on this coming Friday for 500 euro. Now, wouldn't that be very, very special indeed? Uh, particularly around Christmas time, where everybody, God knows, is short of uh, a few bob. Just some of your text uh, before I go. Uh, Fran, just a comment if you don't mind. Leo is getting well paid for being in public life and if he wants to keep his private life, get a room. He has enough money, says another Fran. Department of Education have a lot to answer for, says another listener, in promoting choice. It's not choice. You were born gay or straight, simple as that. It's actually making people sick of it all. There's no week for straight people, so why have a Pride Week? All needs to stop and all of us live happily together, says one of our listeners. That's it for me, Ali. Produce Stevens on the way with the Time Tunnel, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. You look after yourself, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie This Christmas